The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, what's up? This is Jeff Cobb, and you're listening to Keep It A Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frogs. From the Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your hosts Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Happy New Year And welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we'll review Wrestle Kingdom 16, Nights 1 and 2, and cover all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com. With features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPWWorld to the next level, you can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? I'm doing so well. Um, it's 2022, ladies and gentlemen. So you are listening to the first Keeping It Strong Style of the Year. And this is our first podcast in our fifth year of operation. Yeah, man. Literally, we started at the end of 2017. We're in 2022, you know. Five more years, we do that double. We're gonna be, you know, a decade. Yeah, man, a decade of dominance. <laughs> <laughs> but man, we're here. It's Wrestle Kingdom week. Uh, just minutes ago, we just finished watching night two, January fifth, in the Tokyo Dome, and we're gonna go right now. We're gonna break down uh, both shows right here. Yeah, we're um, it's 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, so we're literally about 12 hours removed from the start of night two. And uh, man, we had some really great shows here. One thing too, I want to uh, do a real big shout out to my co-host Jeremy Donovan for um, he hooked me up with a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this is actually, you know, what's weird is like I've I've recorded on microphones for years, but I've never had one of my own where I've like done the setup and the levels and. Um, it, it, I don't know. It sounds weird. Am I sounding good on your side? Yeah, I think it's sounding good, and I'm sure as we uh, keep playing the fade, we'll keep tweaking it. But I think it's sounding pretty good right now. Okay, cool. I mean, I don't know if this is going to be a, like to the detriment or the benefit of the show because I, I like to get up, I like to do things. You know, I feel like this is going to pick up more of the shenanigans I get myself into behind the scenes. You know, that 
you usually end up covering for and editing out of the show. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. But um, yeah, I feel like it's weird. I feel like nervous and self-conscious doing the show for the first time probably ever. Like this is a, it's a weird feeling. But, um, you know, um, let's jump into it. We got a shit ton to talk about. Two really, really awesome nights back to back. I mean, it's, it's Wrestle Kingdom season, Tokyo Dome. Uh, I don't know if uh, two awesome <laughs> show back to back. Well, let's start with uh, night one, January fourth. So the show kicked off the pre-show with the New Japan Rambo match, and obviously with KOPW in the mix. What we've seen the last couple of years now, the final four participants will advance to night two in a four-way match to determine the first provisional. KLPW 2022 champion. So I believe we had 19 men uh, here in this Rambo. We had uh, Chase Owens. We had a surprising Shima, Minoru Suzuki, Toriano. Those four men with the final four, they defeated Aaron Hanare, Bad Luck Fale, Doki, Tenzan, Fujita, Master Wato, Oiwa, Satoshi Kojima, Takamichinoku, Tatsumi Fujinami. Yes, the dragon, <laughs> Tatsumi Fujinami. <laughs> Togi Makabe, Togiyaka Hanma, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, Yuji Nagata, and Yuto Nakashima. Young boy, what do you think about the pre-show Rambo here? Well, you know, I really enjoy the Rambo every year. It's one of my like guilty pleasure matches. I mean, uh, it's it's never great, but it's also it's also great all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like pizza, man. Like, yeah, there is like quote unquote bad pizza, but at the end of the day, you still eat it. It's still passable. It's still good. What's like the worst pizza? Probably like when you're in elementary school and they give you that like square white pizza with like yes. the, the little sausages on it. Yeah, the cheese is like plastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but um, yeah, the match was good. Uh, it was fine. Um, there was like one thing I like is when there's like little storylines and stuff like that and surprises, and I feel like we got some of those elements here. You know, um. I, I liked when all the young lions like came out initially and had the first like early alliance in the match. Um, that was really cool. Yeah. And then Suzuki coming down and decimating all three of them in short <laughs> order back to back to back. Like I loved that. <laughs> um, I also obviously, I mean, just the inclusion of Sima at all. Um, and I, you know, I've always, I always pronounce it Shima. I don't know if it's Sima or Shima, but, uh, you know, his inclusion was a big surprise. Um, not too surprising since we've heard about, you know, um, talks between New Japan and other companies. And I mean, you know, earlier last year's show worked in Glee. And, um, uh, even just a few weeks ago, Minoru Suzuki was working with them. So, I mean, it's not the biggest shock in the world, but I wasn't expecting it. I was really happy to see him here for sure. Yeah, definitely a, a huge surprise uh, seeing Shima here. Like you mentioned, yeah, they, they did talk about working with other companies, stuff like that, but still kind of crazy to see uh, Shima in here, and it was pretty cool seeing him, like him and Suzuki, face off and some of the other guys in the Rambo. Of course, he came out wearing the, you know, the Glate shirt, so they're getting the Glate uh, you know, product over here on the, on the New Japan Arena. And, yeah, that was definitely... One, oh, go ahead. One surprising thing, um, believe it or not, Shima and Tomoaki Hanma debuted in the same year. Which is 1997. It's hard to believe. <laughs> but um, two different lives. Yeah. <laughs> the biggest surprise, obviously, was um, the inclusion of Tatsumi Fujinami in this um, in this uh, Rambo. I did not see that coming. It took him forever to walk down to the actual ring to like get down the entire rampway. Um, 
you know, Fujinami, for those of you that may, might not be as initiated, one of the all-time legends of Purezu, one of the all-time, like, if there was a New Japan um, Mount Rushmore, he's likely on it. Uh, he's probably, like, the second-generation ace after Anoki. He was Anoki's uh, protege, and he's one of the only men. Well, he was actually involved in the very first-ever opener match for New Japan. So, like, he started his, um, he debuted as a young lion through the first class that they ever had in New Japan all the way back in 1972. So, I mean, wow. he's like true blue New Japan, like royalty. Um, it was really funny. I listened, I, I watched the, uh, at, at the time of this recording, I don't think the backstage comments are out yet. Cause I was going to see if I can squeeze those in before we recorded, <laughs> but I did watch uh, Night One's backstage comments. And when they're interviewing him, they're like, you know, had you made it to the Final Four, you would have gotten the opportunity to compete on night two in the Tokyo Dome for the KOPW title. Like, what would that meant to you? And this man looked bewildered. He had no idea what the <laughs> fuck they were talking about. Nobody, I, I promise you, nobody told him. That, here's what here's what happened. They said, Fujinami, it's the 50th anniversary, it's in the Tokyo Dome. We want you to, like, show up in this Rambo, and then, you know, we'll, we'll do a protected finish. And he's like, got it. He had no context. He had no idea that there was a KOPW title. He had no idea what the stakes were. He's like, I just came for a payday, brother. <laughs> came for a payday. And then he was like, he like looked at them really confused. And he's like, if someone would have told me that that, that, those, that, that was a possibility, I would have tried a lot harder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. But that man so came really out I enjoyed here. that. He came out here. He was dragon screwing everybody. You know, you always say you never dragon screw a dragon screwer. And he was out here dragon screws on Fale, on, on Makabe, and all these guys here just uh, one well, by you know, one. He's the innovator of that move. Right. Yeah. That's where the, yeah, the dragon screw comes from him. The dragon, also the uh, dragon suplex, I believe, also comes from him. Um, yeah. I mean, it was kind of cool. We had, you know, the old dragon showing up in the first match of the night. And then, you know, the new dragon at the uh, in the main event. So I thought it was fitting. Yeah. And we had uh, Yano coming in as the provisional champ last two years in a row. He comes in at the last entrant here in the Rambo. Um, and then eventually uh, Fujinami and Makabe get eliminated. Fujinami has Makabe in a, a figure four. Uh, and then um, well, he gets uh, pinned. Was it? They, they both got pinned while they were in the figure four. Right. So they, they got double eliminated. One thing, too, I mean, this is the third time Chase Owens has ran the gauntlet in the New Japan Rambo, like, straight. Like, in all three previous Rambos, he's gone from, like, number one or number two all the way to the end. Workhorse. At work, everyone. Yeah, he, he's the workhorse, <laughs> the workhorse of the New Japan Rambo. <laughs> it was really funny. We were uh, chatting with uh, James Boyd of One Nation Radio. He's like, what the fuck belt is this Chase Owens wearing? Yeah, had to let him know, man. The Texas Heavyweight Championship. Allegedly, I don't even. I don't know. That's not a. That's not a. Um, a uh, what's that's not a lore I want to explore any <laughs> deeper than what we know. <laughs> uh, I accept it on face value. <laughs> um, one thing though, there was um, you know, there was a few guys here that I could have seen being in the final four: Aaron Hanare, Bad Luck Fale. Maybe Doki, maybe even like say potentially um, like Kojima, and uh, you know, so if, maybe Nagata. So a few of those guys, you know, got eliminated. Um, also, Taka Michinoku was a little bit of a surprise for me. I mean, he has been working with the company since Tag League, but it seems to me now, 
based on this appearance that we can expect more of him in the company going forward too. Yeah, because uh, word on the street was that after the Tag League tour, he was going to be done. Then he pops back up, rode Tokyo Dome tour, and now he's here uh, in the Rambo uh, representing Suzuki Goon here at Wrestle Kingdom. So clearly that, you know, it seems like he's back in the good graces. He's back in the fold, and we'll probably see more of Taka in 2022. That that first Tag League match he had with uh, um, Dangerous Techers was him essentially getting beat back into the game. <laughs> yes, welcome back. <laughs> Hold, hold his kick. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yes, yeah, so we end up with the final four of Owens, Shima, Minoru Suzuki, Toriyano. Uh, kind of an unlikely pairing, but uh, I could see cases for all four guys. You know, 27 minutes. This was inoffensive. I thought it was fun. Some good surprises. And, um, you know, I, I think that that's a pretty good pairing for those four guys for the second night, honestly. Yeah, so with that uh, double pin on Fujinami and Makabe, the final four, Suzuki, Shima, Chase Owens, and Toriyano. Like you mentioned, an interesting mix there of guys, and we'll talk about that when we review night two. Awesome. So that's going to take us to the true opener of Wrestle Kingdom night one this year. And we started off not with a four-way junior tag team title match, not a junior sprint, but we got a grudge match in... Yo versus show part three. Yeah. Third time these guys have wrestled uh, recently, obviously first for this year, uh, coming off of show turning on Yo during the summer. And then we also, we saw what played out in the best super juniors, Yo uh, beating show there and stopping show from going forward into the tournament. And then of course show tried to ruin the tournament finals and get both Yo and Hiromu, um, Disqualified or knocked out or whatever And so that left um, Show eventually got thrown out And obviously Hiromu was able to defeat Yo So here Yo Gang wants to get a little bit of revenge here On Show in his opening match And you know what for me I, I thought it was fine um, Obviously we've seen several better Junior openers for Wrestle Kingdom um, You know one of the issues I've had With their previous matches I said and feel that there, there was uh, enough aggression for this being a blood feud and I mean they weren't really killing each other here but they did start with a little bit more urgency um yo hitting the you know the big uh, uh tope con hilo uh, at the beginning of the match and um it seemed like yo had a little bit more urgency and, and really wanting to uh beat show here and of course we get the ref distraction and uh Dick Togo trying to interfere, but it wasn't a whole ton of interference. It was like a couple spots, but then uh, Yo was able to uh, get the win with the the five star clutch. There's a saying it says, "Fool me once, shame on you," <laughs> <laughs> and then "Fool me twice, shame on me." But uh, they fooled us a third time, and I don't know who that shame goes to. I'm guessing Dick Togo. I don't know, um, but. You know, this to me was very disappointing, um, and I, I there's no way to sugarcoat it. The match itself was probably fine in terms of just mechanics, in terms of execution. You know, if you were having this match, like let's say in a training room, uh, in like in like a dojo, no one would probably complain about it. You know what I mean? Right. If we saw this at uh, Tampa Bay Pro at the Retro Rap. It'd be pretty good, actually, Yeah, on that level. But, I mean, <laughs> the, the deal here is, like, it's Sho and Yo. They team together for 
I don't even know how many years, you know, a, a very, very, very long time. They had a long storied history rivalry going back to their days as young lions. They traveled the world together as a tag team. They won numerous world titles as a tag team. They've headlined, not headlined, but they've uh, defended those belts in the dome together multiple, multiple times. So you would think that this match should have been the culmination of a, of a, you know, major story. And I mean, a lot of times in, in modern antiquity, the uh, tag team feud that people like to point to uh, when there's a breakup is the Rockers. And I mean, even while their uh, breakup wasn't necessarily like the best ever, there was a lot of disappointment, a lot of stop and starts. They still had some classic matches. And I mean, we're, we're 0-3 for classic matches for show and yo. And considering the fact that these guys come from the dojo and have so much invested into them in terms of like what the company has done with them as a tag team in the past and how much they've built this up over years and years and years and years. And then they put it on. I mean, like I said at the beginning, they set a grudge match as the beginning of night one of Wrestle Kingdom. That's generally unheard of. And to have a junior match that's not, for any title on Wrestle Kingdom, that's a huge deal. And they kind of just went out there and had an average ass match. I mean, there was quite a few Super Juniors matches just a month or so ago that were much better than this. Um, I'm sure they did what they thought they could do in under 13 minutes, but my God, can someone show them a fucking like Jerry Lawler <laughs> or like Terry Funk match? Like, I don't know. Like, why can't they understand? hate filled feuds you know just go watch you know they should just go watch chris jericho from just a couple of years ago in the same company you know right like these two guys like at this point it's the third match like show betrayed you he turned his back on you turned his back on chaos he tried to ruin your super junior final main event like there is a question mark like if show didn't interfere like could you had a beaten Hiromi? like there's so much like personal animosity and you know, hate that's been built, like actions that have happened since the turn. You would think at this point, like there should not be like lockups or even that many flips. To be honest, like these, like Yo should be coming for Show's neck. Like you talk about a match that probably could have benefited from a no DQ stipulation. It could have probably been this match because uh, it's, it's supposed to be so hate filled and it's supposed to be a blood feud. And these guys are still going out here and doing their tope con helos and doing their spots and grabbing the wrench and. Shows making his wacky faces, and um, it, it's just it's just not Wrestle Kingdom level. Honestly, it's not even really New Japan level. Uh, it's not New Japan. Yeah, that's uh, the thing. I don't even really care about the style. If if they're out there doing a hate filled, I mean, I've seen plenty, bro. Let me just tell you, I've seen plenty of 1980s and 1990s, you know, lucha, you know, Espuetas matches where guys are doing dives and they look like they want to fucking kill each other. You know, what right? I mean? Yeah. So I don't even care about that, but there's no urgency. There's no sense of importance. It feels very complacent. I mean, I know it's easy to like Monday back, Monday morning, like quarterback on stuff like this. But uh, I mean, at this point, I'm completely cold on show and yo. Uh, I made a joke. I was like, you know, we used to argue about which one's the Sean and which one's the Marty. And I'm like, dude, at this point, they're both the Marty, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, they're supposed to, the reason that I think that we're being so harsh on show and you is because the thinking, the general consensus is this is the future of the junior division 
in New Japan, which New Japan, generally speaking, has the most prestigious and most well-regarded junior division of any, anywhere in the world, you know? Um, and the, the, these kind of matches and, and performances, I mean, this feels very much like when No Limit broke up, you know, Naito and uh, Yujiro, and they just kind of had a couple plotting matches and then moved on. And uh, I don't know. I mean, part of me is like, is there more story to be told? Maybe, or maybe we'll just wait until they like meet up again in a super juniors. Like, I, I don't know, man. Well, but, it, uh, it seems like there is going to be more to be told because yo, once again, got to win with the, the wacky roll up. He couldn't put show away with the direct drive. So it was kind of like a banana that was, peel. That was win. Another part too, yeah. Uh, so, now I will say they did some big spots on the outside during mm-hmm. the match and that was pretty cool but for the most part i was uh unimpressed and unenthused with this match i'm i'm i don't know i, I i'll be nice and i'll probably go three stars here but uh yeah i was not really happy to see yo not able to get an emphatic win over show yeah i also went three stars and i, I see a lot of people going a lot lower on this for me like at this point i don't really expect much from this combination of pairings. So for me, like this was fine. Like it was a fine, like the mechanics were all there. Like they didn't, there were any botches. They didn't, you know, miss any spots, but like you mentioned, just no urgency, no aggression for, for a blood feud level. And it was not, this should not have been a Wrestle Kingdom opener. Like this should have been like one of the dark matches. Yeah. Uh, sad, sad to say that, but I mean, the other thing too, is how um, it's not that often that juniors even get singles matches. So, I mean, that in and of itself is so rare, especially for it to be in the Tokyo Dome on Wrestle Kingdom. It should have been, like, the match of their lives. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I think, like, I, mean, I, I get that there's going to be Dick Togo and House of Torture stuff, but I feel like they should have, like, hit the ground running and it should have had, like, a banger, maybe, like, the first 10 minutes and you have your quick Togo interference and then lead to the finish. Um, right. Yeah, so um, that's I almost want to do like F O H like finish like show and yo, <laughs> but uh, we can move on to the second match or the second match of the main card. Yeah, so second match we have our first uh, preview match of the night here. Bullet Club's cutest tag team, El Fantasmo, Taiji Shimori, they're teaming up with the U.S. champ Kenta, and they defeated Hiroshi Tanahashi and the Mega Coaches, our good friend Rocky Romero and Rich Gaguchi. By disqualification. That's right. We had a disqualification finish in on Wrestle Kingdom in the Tokyo Dome. Yeah, the, the thing about that, too, um, maybe I have a different um, point of view. Is like I, I didn't expect much from this because, to me, it's just a preview match. So I expected them to do something a little unique here, especially considering the fact that you had three or six competitors that are all involved in title matches the next night there's not an obvious pin eater you know present and so like last week when we did our preview with chris amsa we were all kind of uh sort of speculating on what story they might tell you know what i mean Mm -hmm. but at the same time i i still recognize this is just a preview match and i didn't expect much from it but i think for maybe your average fan who's like tuning in and they're expecting wrestle kingdom level um, style match, they're probably very disappointed, you know, um, which probably tells you that this match didn't belong <laughs> on the main card. This is definitely something that could have happened on the road to Tokyo Dome, especially considering the finish that they went with. And I mean, 
from a storyline perspective, it makes sense. You know, um, Tanahashi was getting his ass beat almost every single night on the road to Tokyo Dome, getting laid out on stacks of chairs. And the real question was, does he have it in him to uh, stoop to the low levels of the Bullet Club and of Kenta to get down and dirty during the uh, no DQ match the next night? And this was sort of like the tipping point. And I think that they were hoping this would come off the way it did when, like, say, uh, Liger turned into Keishan Liger and, like, mm. went crazy and elicited a, you know. But the, 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 the bad problem is, the crowd can't respond. So even if it would have been some sort of memorable moment that the crowd would have really gotten into because Tanahashi, the beloved hero, like went crazy, it's a clap crowd. So it's kind of wasted on them. And for the people at home, we're like, what? Right. And, you know, like you mentioned, I, like from a story perspective, it does make a ton of sense. And I, I get why they did that finish. But for me, I feel like that should have happened on the Road to Tokyo Dome. There was four Road to Tokyo Dome shows all multi-man matchups with Tanahashi and Kent on the other end, and Tanahashi right. left laying pretty much every night of that tour. I think the final night of that tour, you could have did this angle where Tanahashi snaps um, and proves that he um, can stoop to Kenta's level, and then maybe here you have these guys like fight to the back, and, and it's just left between Mega Coaches and Bull Club's cutest tag team. And you get a finish there, but I don't think they should have done the DQ finish here. Yeah. The other thing that's kind of unique here, and I didn't think about it, was uh, the next night, Robbie Eagles and Tiger Mask would be involved in that, you know, three-way six-man, and they weren't even on the card here. So that also kind of was like a little hole in the storytelling logic they had going there. I don't know. But, uh, you know, this, it, it was fine. It was like eight minutes, so. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, Tanahashi gets the kendo stick, hits Kenta, gets the disqualification finish there. But I will say, and I'm going to keep saying this throughout the whole show, this is why I said night two is going to be better than night one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let's uh, move on to the next match here. Another preview match. We have the United Empire unit of Great Ocon, Jeff Cobb, and Will Ospreay, accompanied with Aaron Hanare. They defeated the LIJ team of Bushi, Sonata, and Tetsuya Naito, Naiment, in 27 seconds. Um, So I thought this was a little bit better than the match prior, especially since uh, there was no DQ finish that kind of spoiled things. But again, while it was good, it was still just a preview match. you know. And I, I thought the, the um, people involved were all very good to to, you know, being competent and everything like that. We got a, you know, good preview for Okan and Sonata and Cobb and Naito. And obviously Will Ospreay sort of needed a little bit of a warm-up uh, because he's challenging for the title the next night. But at 9 minutes, 27 seconds, Osprey beating Bushi, this is Road to 101 and did not belong on a Wrestle Kingdom show whatsoever. There was no surprises. There was no memorable moments. It just was there. Right. And, and the, the funny thing is, like, these two units, these two uh, teams here, normally we praise these teams in multi-man matches, especially in Korokans or in the main events. These two teams usually go pretty hard and gel really well together and usually have really good matches on some of the, the smaller shows. But you come here, it's Wrestle Kingdom. It's early on the card. All these guys have... Big matches the next day, for the exception of Bushi. Uh, nobody right. wants to get get hurt here. 
Uh, Osprey was barely in the match. He, he came in for a few spots during the beginning, and then at the end, like you mentioned, he came in and uh, hit Bushi with the hidden blade, got the win for the team there. But you know, these guys weren't trying to go hard. And I, I, at one point, I kind of don't Bushi blame was. Him. Well, yeah, Bushi. I mean, this was his spot. Bushi's the one guy that like went as hard as he possibly could. He's like, I'm gonna fucking live in this moment. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought Sonata and Great Okan um, worked kind of hard too in this match. Um, besides that, I mean, nine minutes. Not much to sink your teeth into, and like you mentioned, a road two show. Obviously, Osprey due to the the quarantine rules, he wasn't able to be a part of the Road Tokyo Dome show. Um, potentially, that match could happen there, but we already saw that we had another preview match before this, so they probably would have done. Even if Osprey was on the, the road two tour, they probably still would have done some kind of preview match here. Yeah, the one thing I did enjoy that uh, Bushi decided to go out there with uh, his gear was hard, but he decided to wear. <laughs> a black tiger inspired uh, like tribute mask, but there's already a black tiger angle occurring in new Japan of America. He clearly is like not watching the U S product at all. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, like if I'm Rocky Romero, I'm pissed. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, we're <laughs> no, Rocky... already normally am at Bushi. Right. Rocky already hates Bushi anyway, but uh, yeah, 2022 is the, the year of the tiger in Japan. So we did see a lot of people, at least, Bushi did like a tiger, uh, black tiger tribute, or people doing different like tiger related maneuvers throughout the night. So that was kind of right. like the tiger reference there. See, I'm all about the lions, Mark. I don't give a fuck about tigers. <laughs> 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 but uh, at this point in the match or the show, you know, we're 0 3 in terms of great matches. That's not a great start for a Wrestle Kingdom. And, um, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, like, I was right. <laughs> so, someone come and save us. Yeah, well, next we had the uh, Shibata, you know, catch wrestling rules match versus X that was uh, announced. You know, we have talked about last week with the rules being uh, changed to catch wrestling. You know, me and you kind of went to bat for the, the catch uh, wrestling rules. So, they were getting set up, and you're thinking, you know, normally X would come out second because they're the mystery, but... Uh, we hear the familiar tunes of the L.A. Dojo music. And then our man, Ren Narita, comes running down the stage. So Ren Narita is X and taking on Shibata here. Um, and then Shibata's music hits uh, first time in the Tokyo Dome in five years when he uh, lost the never title to Hiroki Goto. Uh, so he, he comes down, you know, all the emotion flowing with his music coming down in his ring gear with the towel and everything. Uh, he comes down to the ring and he uh, grabs a mic, Josh, and he says, you know, he, he's going into business for himself. You know, this, this is a, a normal pro wrestling rules match. We will strike each other. Yeah. And I was like, wait. And he was like, can you do it? Are you ready? And I was like, wait, what? What is going on? But let's back up just a little bit. Um, the idea of Narita versus Shibata, I'm, I don't want to like give you guys spoilers, but, you know, if you haven't seen uh, Spider-Man No Way or No Way Home, that's basically what this match was. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, seeing Narita get the opportunity to come out. I mean, we haven't seen him literally since the uh, Young Lions Cup finals where he lost to uh, Carl Fredericks. And I mean, that was back in 2019, at least. Well, I mean, in Japan, that is. So this was a big deal for him to kind of like make his return. I don't. Um, He's not going to be staying here or anything like that. He is going back to the LA dojo, but just to kind of give them, you know, give the the Japanese crowd a, a little taste of Red Narita was really awesome. 
And then the fact that he sort of is like Shibata's son, you know, he he literally looks, wrestles, acts like <laughs> everything about him is like carrying like Shibata's essence. But then um, to see Shibata make that entrance, bro, like I'm not going to lie. I got teary eyed, bro. <laughs> yeah, man. It was, it was an emotional moment. It was really special. Like, you know, and I mean, there were some detractors, you know, we some of even some of our buddies, you know, detractors about this match and stuff like that. But like, dude, I never ever. I mean, I've, I've been on this the airways of this show many, many a time saying that Shibata would never have a real wrestling match ever again. And you can say what you want about this match, but seeing him in the Tokyo Dome in the gear looking in what probably is the best shape I've ever seen him in. And um, him make that, like, walk down the, the rampway, and I was like, oh, holy fuck, like, Shibata's back. Like, and even if he's never going to be fully, fully back, like, that was a moment. Like, that was a true blue Tokyo Dome Wrestle Kingdom moment. And, you know, uh, this guy wasn't supposed to even be able to walk again, much less wrestle. He, they thought he was going to die. <laughs> right. you know and um and here he is like doing the fucking thing like i was uh and i don't feel like this is fanboying or like cap i feel like you have to give the the dude his just due for what he's doing which he's trying to do as much as he possibly can to be a wrestler still even despite all the ailments the injuries and the dangers that are in front of him like i don't know i i find it really inspiring yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Kevin Kelly did a great job with this on commentary too when he was coming out. Like, you know, his nickname is the the wrestler. Like, that's his identity, the wrestler. What does the wrestler do when he can't wrestle? Um, yeah, and, and it's been you know this five year or so you know struggle or journey to get back to to wrestling. You know, he started off. He did an interview before us Kingdom saying, you know, if it wasn't for the injury, that there might not have been an L.A. dojo. Like, he might, you know, he wouldn't have been the trainer, and that that, that project might not have happened. So through the injury, we, we got the, the the emergence of the L.A. dojo and the work he's done there with Fredericks and Connors and Coughlin and Rita and DKC and all those guys that are happening now. We're seeing all that pay for it on New Japan Strong. And, uh, you know, he, he found a way to continue to be the wrestler in, in training, and, and now we're seeing him finally having wrestling matches again it's just like you mentioned it's just so crazy to think about and when when something is so a part of your identity you work really hard to get it back and you know we didn't think that it would be medically possible but here we are uh regular rules matchup look great as ever um a ton of the signatures shibata spots see the drop kick in the corner um the the sleeper hole to the pk just the, the striking uh, he, he didn't get strike that much uh but just everything he did was just like full Shibata form. Yeah. Um, but that moment where he uh <laughs> where he like says to Renarita that they're gonna have a real match, I'm like, wait, what the fuck is gonna happen? <laughs> and then I will tell you, I will tell you, uh it was bittersweet in a certain sense because on the one hand, I was kind of into the idea of the catch wrestling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um Anyone that listened to the show last week probably could catch that from me. So I was like, wait, they're going to do full wrestling. And then I got really excited because I was like, oh, they swerved us. This man's fully cleared and he can do this. Oh, my God. And then they had what I would consider to be a very good to great match, um, honestly. But 
once you kept watching it, it became very clear that like Red Narita was not hitting Shibata in the head at all. And it kind of did detract from the match for me a bit. Uh, because, I mean, here's Shibata smoking Renderita, slaps, elbows, <laughs> kicks, PKs, <laughs> knees, everything. And then Renderita is doing everything. His, he's doing his damnedest <laughs> <laughs> to make us understand and believe that this is a real wrestling match. But, like, he's clearly only kicking the shoulders. He's only kicking the elbows. He's going. He's hitting him in the body. He's doing a lot of leg work. And the closest that they ever got to a quote-unquote headshot um, was when he's he was doing the the faux headbutts in a clinch, but he was hitting him in the collarbone, you know? Right. Now, granted, this might sound like I'm saying, I want to see Shibata get hit in the head. No, <laughs> I don't. That's far from what I'm asking for. But if you call it real wrestling and only one guy is doing the real wrestling, the other guy is handicapped, then you're talking about an uneven playing field and it does call into question, why is this happening this way? Um, part of me kind of feels like it's a little bit grifty. Yeah. And maybe they should have just done the catch wrestling thing because they they try to turn around and like make it seem like, I don't know, Shibata was going to business for himself or it was some sort of swerve and we you know, were misinformed and he actually can go. But then then he was still wrestling a very protected match. And I'm like, okay, maybe, I don't know. I don't know if we should say that it's him dipping his toes in the water as things go on, this is going to change or, you know, I don't know what to expect at this point. I don't know what to call it. And I feel like there are those fans that feel uh, sort of uh, maybe a little manipulated even, you know? Right, because they had the whole thing of like, all right, Shibata wrestling his first match back. Then they announced the catch wrestling rules, and Shibata this whole, this whole you know promo at the press conference about how wrestlers need to focus on their actual wrestling and how the catch wrestling could change things in New Japan and focus on the wrestling. So like, all right, get behind that, and then he comes out and it's like, oh well, no, never mind all that. We're we're gonna do the the pro wrestling match. Hold this leg kick, <laughs> right? Uh, but then he's not going to get striked in the head. So, yeah, all that is uh, a little weird. It, it does make you kind of wonder what is actually happening, how much of this it's is like a, a lot of mixed messaging, right? Right. It's like, what is a work? What is not a work? Did he actually go out there and, you know, go off script? I mean, I, it's hard to believe that he would do that and New Japan would just let that fly. Uh, That's the way that uh, during the press conference, that is how he was selling it. I mean, I understand that those are kayfabe. <laughs> Trust me, we've been part of them. They're definitely kayfabe press conferences. Right. But, uh, you know, that's kind of what he was like. I'll take whatever penalties are coming my way. This was a decision I made on my own. Rendering it. And I'm like, okay, okay. But, you know, the thing is, it's like, okay, one thing I will say this. In defense of the company, they did put out a press release when they first made the announcement that he was going to wrestle again. And in the press release, it did say that the rules of the match had yet to be determined. And I forgot about that last oh, week. Oh, we yeah, the show. you're right. I did forget about that, yeah. I forgot about it, too. And then after we got off the air, I remembered, and I went, but here's the thing. They didn't make it easy for you to know that. You right. really had to. It was, like, in small print. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not, like, something that they, like, um, overtly advertised. And so I don't want to speculate any further about what, what how everything came to be, but... It feels very much like 
the company hasn't taken a hardline stance one way or the other as to whether he's going to be allowed to full-time, not even full-time, but like just fully wrestle or not. And so for me as a Shibata fan, it's kind of confusing. And that whole, like you mentioned, the promo where he talked about going back to the roots and having a catch division and everything like that, that sounded really appealing to me. I was like, I could get behind that. And then, and then he was like, nah, let's do some PKs. Let's do some leg kicks. <laughs> so all that was very confusing. But putting that aside, the actual match itself was great. I loved it. I loved the moment. The the fact that they did a teacher versus student match. There was even some um, there was some uh, psychology that kind of reminded me of like uh, like all Japan Noah days, where you'd see like the big the 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 better more established kind of like senior wrestler fighting the upstart and you the the psychology of like it might take four or five leg kicks for Renderita to get a reaction from Shibata and Shibata hits him with one and he's done and that was something that was kind of even um showcased in the very famous uh Kenta Kobashi Samoa Joe match from Ring of Honor and I love that kind of like attention to details not just two guys mindlessly hitting each other there's they're showcasing skills and levels and talents and that was on display here, uh, plus the emotion of it all. And then the post-match with Ren Rita just crying in Shibata's arms. And, like, bro, it got to me. Like, even for all the um, hubbaloo about the rules and everything like that, I still love this. And I still thought it was an incredible Wrestle Kingdom Tokyo Dome uh, moment. And at this point, you know, I don't know what to expect from Shibata going forward, but uh, I'm, I hope to see him return in some form or fashion in the future. Yeah, man, I love this match, too. I thought it was awesome. I went four stars flat on it. I thought it was just a, such a great moment and such a great spotlight for Renderita. I mean, we've been on the Renderita bandwagon from day one since he's you know, was a young lion through the Young Lion Cups and through his whole process here in uh, New Japan. So to see him you know, come back and have this big, huge you know, Tokyo Dome moment, uh, big singles match against his train, like you mentioned, Great thing for him, and, you know, there's a lot of people speculating, like, was this a graduation match? Like, what is the future hold for Ren Narita? he's a big part of New Japan Strong. He's been having great matches there with uh, Dickinson and Tom Lawler and, and Fred Rosser. Um, so it, it makes you question, like, is he going to be back on Strong for more in the future? Is he still working there? Or is this going to lead to some kind of moment where he does graduate and will be, you know, thrown into the New Japan mix, which they, they desperately need uh, fresh blood on the roster. So I do hope we well, he's see. graduated. He's just on excursion. Right. But, you know, because technically he's not really a lion right now. He's just on excursion. But I, I know what you mean. I think people are wondering, like, is he going to be in his final form, like Frieza? <laughs> right, because he still came out to the, the LA Dojo music, so wondering is he going to get his own music, like is he going to stick with the Dojo music, stick with the Shibata gear, and just kind of be kind of like you know the wrestler 2.0 kind of thing? Um, I went three and three quarters on this, but I loved it, and I, I'm excited. Uh, in March, I expect to see Narita on the March show here in Tampa, and um, I'm wondering what the crowd reactions to, to Narita after being showcased in a big match on Wrestle Kingdom like this are, because you know, even though Narita has been, you know, put in, like, say, the uh, Young Lions Cup, and even though he's had, you know, like, big showcase strong matches, it feels like your average standard New Japan fan still is not even really as familiar with Fred Narita as, say, like, your diehards. 
this is probably like the match of his life in terms of like just uh exposure and so um hopefully like going forward more people can kind of recognize and see the greatness that's Renarita, you know right so after this match we went to intermission and we did have a announcement that new japan pro wrestling would be returning to access tv in the u.s with new episodes starting thursday march 3rd airing after impact wrestling on thursdays on access tv um bro that's really cool yes <laughs> that's really 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 cool i don't know what that means um but like remember last year i think it was last year was last year when they made the roku announcement <laughs> yeah and dude like we'd heard rumors it was gonna be roku and like i told people and like no one even knew that that, that was like no one knew what to make of that and then that's exactly what it ended up being and uh so I mean, there was nothing. Um, the 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 last time I heard about anything about a TV deal on any level was literally like a few days ago when I was listening to Jcast, and they didn't know anything either. But they did an interview with Kevin Kelly, and he seemed to have some sort of inside knowledge about a U.S. television deal, possibly. Or you know what? Those guys probably did know, and they were probably playing it close to the chest. But either way, um, that like there was nothing from the company saying that there's a big deal coming you didn't hear anything from dave Meltzer that there's a big announcement coming like they did when the roku channel announcement was coming right and so this one was very you know they didn't say mum was the word and then suddenly it's like oh we're back on access which like okay are there other channels they could have been on that would have been better yes are there other things they could have done that might have been a bigger deal yes but top to bottom this is a great this is a really, really, really great thing. Um, they're they're back on an established channel that they've been on. It's a company that's invested in wrestling. It's a company that is owned by a wrestling company. And there's already a partnership between New Japan and um, Impact Wrestling and State. So this tells me that there's probably going to be more interaction between those companies down the line, likely, anyways. And, uh, you know, a lot of the... Um, exposure that new japan got in the states came from being on access tv so i feel like this is a a really really good move now i don't know what they're going to actually be showcasing i don't know if it's going to be um recent shows like stuff that's on new japan world and it's like delayed a week or two or if it's going to be like the roku channel where it's a year behind but in hd or if it's going to be some sort of highlight show, or maybe it's a strong product. And it's really hard to say at this point, but either way, regardless of what it ends up being, we've said many, many times they needed broadcast television in the States again. And this is awesome news. Yeah. So it's actually going to be starting up on uh, Thursday, January 20th with classic episodes from the, the first access run. So on January 20th, they're going to play the Kenny Omega versus Chris Jericho match from Wrestle Kingdom 12 that, uh, when they aired that on Access. So they'll be showing some of the classic Access episodes leading up to the March 3rd debut with the quote-unquote new content, which I would believe is probably going to be similar to the old Access show where it's the big matches from uh, the big shows. And I'm, I'm guessing they'll probably start that with Wrestle Kingdom 16, the big matches from that show out, just to guess. 
Um, but it will be airing throughout um, U.S., Canada, Europe, Africa, and the Middle East. That's really cool. The other thing, too, is like potentially if um, and, you know, I don't know what the what the business model is supposed to be when it comes to New Japan World versus U.S. airs versus pay-per-view. You know, that's a, a totally different discussion to be had. But I loved when they used to do U.S. broadcast access specials. Yes. And we've got we've gotten a few things that were similar to that recently, like Battle in the Valley. And wasn't there another one recently too, or is that the only one? A resurgence. Resurgence, yeah. Um, it would be really nice to have a high end production um, level, like level production, and to either have it on access or have some sort of partnership with access because i mean we've complained quite a bit about some of the production quality for some of the shows that have been for unstrong or from some of those specials so um i don't know i i just i think it's a positive move um long term and uh it still remains to be seen what what happens going forward but i mean there's synergy there like okay let me put it to you this way i have not considered watching impact on any level at all for years for years i mean i think i tuned in once to check out the kenny stuff yeah (laughs) and that's about it but i mean hypothetically if i'm if i'm like gonna tune into the access show which who knows i might i mean there were some things about the access show even though i have new japan world there were some things i really loved about it namely the production quality because you could watch it in like crystal clear hd level like quality which you don't get from new japan world you know Mm -hmm. um the other thing too is i don't know who will be calling the action if it's still going to be kevin and um you know chris charlton or if there'll be an alternate team but there were some alternate um you know back in the day there was alternates for for some of the uh the access shows well uh, based off of the kevin kelly interview on super jcast it sounded like he's going to be doing the commentary for that because he did announce that he resigned three more years with new japan years yeah and part of that would be doing some kind of u.s tv show i'm all for that uh i have no problems with that i think kevin's you know the best in the business but um you know like let's just say hypothetically i decide they're not that far behind i'm going to tune in and watch the show but impacts on an hour earlier I might just tune into Impact, you know? Right, and catch the main event. I'm, I'm not someone who who would ever say that, ever. Now, if it's a bullshit show, I'll turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> but the but the fact that the other show is on one hour before and it's the same channel, that makes me a lot more inclined as a New Japan fan to maybe just watch it, especially if there's crossover and guys from, like, New Japan of U.S. being used on there, like your Jay Whites, like your Dave Finleys or whatever. So, I mean, I don't know. I think this is a good, positive move. And it also might mean we might get more guys from Impact showing up on the New Japan shows. We've already seen guys like Moose and stuff like that, you know? Right. And uh, Josh Alexander. Yeah, this is yeah. A, a big deal. And, you know, we've, with the old Access deal, we talked about how people just not realizing how big of a deal that old Access deal was. Like, that was a gateway to so many people watching New Japan because, believe it or not, there's a ton of people who don't know about New Japan World, how to access New, New Japan World. They're worried about, you know, paying for some foreign service and what's that, what's it look on their bank account and the yen and the conversion and all that stuff. As simple as it is, there's a lot of people that are kind of freaked out by that. And just even 
you're a common wrestling fan. Like, how do I watch New Japan easily and catch up and blah, blah. And so access was a big deal. There's so many wrestling fans that got into New Japan because of the access deal. And they weren't that far behind when it came to when content came out. Like, they were pretty much, like, on it with what was going on in New Japan. So it's going to be a big deal. I think it's going to help with the U.S. expansion. It should help bring some eyeballs to Strong and help with ticket sales here in the U.S. Well, um, we will continue to follow this as things go along. I hope this means that it'll be easier for us to get a, you know, connection with the company as a, as a press, con, uh, you know, as like a press uh, podcast. <laughs> right. But um, that's really good news. I'm excited for that. So that's awesome. Uh, let's move on to the next match of the night. Yeah. Um, so we uh, return from intermission to the never open weight title match. Evil. With Dick Togo defeats Tomohiro Ishii, 12 minutes and 10 seconds. New, never openweight champ, double, never champion. Oh, man. So let me just, and Jeremy, you can interrupt at any time if you want, if I forget anything. Okay. Um, Ishii was jumped before the bell, right? Yep. Um, he was thrown into barricades on the outside. There, He was thrown multiple times into an exposed turnbuckle pad um <laughs> there was uh groat wire chokes there was ref distractions there was multiple multiple run-ins from both show as well as yujiro takahashi there was low blows there was uh a belt shot there was a chair shot. Um, was there any other cheating tactics I'm forgetting here? Or have I covered the gamut that was displayed in this match? I think I think you pretty much got it all. I literally... You know how when we watch, like, say, a Togi Makabe match and we try to count the number of times he takes a <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I watched this match, and I wouldn't have done it except for the fact that Ishii got jumped. From the get-go and i was like oh that's not okay there's there's a togoism then he got thrown into the barricade togoism then he got thrown into fucking you know he got thrown into and the thing is he got thrown in the barricade multiple multiple times and i'm like okay then he got thrown into exposed you know fucking turnbuckle multiple times and i was like togoism 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 and like i can't remember any match that's had this many togoisms in this short amount of time, 12 minutes and 10 seconds, this is um, just crazy, bro. Like, <laughs> bro, it's just crazy. Like, I don't even want to do the whole, like, I'm so pissed and, like, the whole, like, rant and tirade and scorch the earth about this being a dumpster fire, which it is. I'm just, like, over it. I'm disgusted. And I'm, like, Ishii, bro is one of the all-time greatest wrestlers <laughs> in the history of New Japan. And he's a guy that's capable of carrying evil to a four-star-plus match. He's done it in the past. But this is the worst match of Ishii's career, in at least in modern times in New Japan. It's the lowest-rated match of his career. And um, I can't believe they had the audacity to put this on Wrestle Kingdom. <laughs> Yeah, man, this was absolutely ridiculous. This was the worst match of Ishii's career. 
This is probably one of the worst Wrestle Kingdom matches, and we were talking about that. I know you found a few that are probably a little bit worse, maybe the Jeff Hardy, uh, Naito, and the the Sakuraba match. But, uh, yeah, this was pretty bad. Like, this is not even, like, road to level bad. Like, this is like, this should not be aired bad. Uh, Yeah, and... And like and it, and like there was like I mentioned, there's interference from all those guys. Ref just kept getting distracted, and then like who came in and made the save was it Yo. Yeah, Yo. He tried to make the save, uh, but got overwhelmed towards the end there. Yeah, I was just like, what the fuck is this? Like, where? <laughs> like, what? Who's this for? Right. And um, and the thing is, like, we're in the Tokyo Dome with you know about twelve thousand people. And they can't boo. There's no heat. They're doing all this cheating, and they can't even benefit from getting the reaction they want. You just have people sitting on their hands. It is dead quiet. You could hear a pin drop in that Tokyo Dome while this whole match was happening. Yeah. The thing, too, is like, um, <laughs> I listened to Kevin Kelly on the Jcast. Uh, mo- their most recent episode. And the only reason I'm bringing it up is because I actually found a lot of what Kevin Kelly ha- had to say on that podcast to be very informative, um, which it always is. But they brought up the House of Torture stuff, and he seemed to be, you know, and he's going to have a company line. I don't think he's a bullshitter or anything like that, but, you know, he kept mentioning how the baby faces and the company are not really taking a stand against the uh, the shenanigans and the antics of the House of Torture. You know right, what I mean? Right. And so he's sort of, in a kayfabe sense, advocating for someone to stand up and be the Avenger. Um, which, that makes sense. But at the same time, it screams to me of, like, the whole 1980s comeuppance thing. You know, you draw heat. So that the baby face said so the crowd can want to pay to see those baby face or those heels get their uh their asses kicked by a hot baby face and get their comeuppance. You know, it's it's like when the four horsemen were at the top and Dusty and Sting and you know Lex and <laughs> the Road Warriors need to come kick their ass. And I get all that. And I, I think there is a time and place for that. It makes sense, but um I think we're we I think we're passing that point altogether. And we might have never even been there. When it comes to House of Torture and right. Togo, like um, it's getting into the, the the territory where the only thing I can think of that it actually really does remind me of is bad Vince Russo era wrestling. But I can't even think of too many matches, like even really egregious 2000s WCW level wrestling where like there's like nonsensical swerves and and all this crazy cheating and all that. Even that's not as bad as what we saw in this match. I mean, cheating after cheating after cheating after cheating after cheating after cheating after cheating. I don't even want to see these guys like get beat. I don't want to see them perform. I don't want them on the screen. It, it's revolting. Uh, it, it's it uh, like it's kind of like uh, it's not wrestling, <laughs> right? And, you know, and one thing that I like that Kevin Kelly mentioned in that interview uh, with Jcast last week, you know, he was saying, you know, the the officials like there's there's been like no repercussions for 
have a torture. He's not calling for a GM or anything, but, you know, the referees or any of the officials really haven't done much to reprimand these guys. So from a kayfabe sense, why are they going to stop cheating and corrupt wiring and low-blowing if they're going to get away with it every night? Um, so wait, that that should be kind of an open, eye-opening moment for the company. It's like you're making all the baby faces look dumb. You're making the company look dumb. When you have these guys just kind of running amok and there's no repercussions for anything that they're doing. But, like, okay, let's say they heat up somebody. I don't know who. Let's say, uh, I don't know, just for argument's sake, let's say they heat up LIJ, right? Mm-hmm. That'd probably be the group that might make, or either them or they turn the bull club into, like, badass tweeners and they start doing that feud. One or the other. It doesn't matter to they really heat them up, and they do a series of matches, and they get their fucking comeuppance, and they beat these guys' asses. Do we care? I mean, like, uh, is that something we're gonna really like? Is it worth it to have? <laughs> <laughs> is it worth it to have one moment that might get a semi pop? A semi pop. We're not talking like jubilation here, okay? You know, this is not Ishin Gun versus Second Gun from like 1980s. You know, this is not the NW. This is not Hulk Hogan losing to Sting at Starcade <laughs> and the entire like, you know, uh, babyface crew like running into the ring and holding up Sting like he's this or, or Lex Luger or whoever, <laughs> you know. That's not this. This is not like some grandiose storytelling element that's going to have some sort of payoff that uh that's going to end up being like um you know memorable it, it's something where even if they tried to do that i don't think the payoff's even worth what they're doing i mean i i can't think of anything that i've seen with house of torture that i would ever want to revisit or remember or think about again um really on any level and the other thing too is i don't have faith that this company's doing that i don't believe that they're heating anybody up to take out House of Torture. I think it's just one of those things where it's going to run its course four years from now because that's kind of where another group comes in and starts doing cheating again, and then they have to kind of take a seat because that's what we've seen in the past is when one big group starts cheating, the other groups that used to do the big cheating, like Suzuki Goon and like Bullet Club, they kind of simmer down a little bit, you know, or like LIJ. But I, I can't think at any time in my, like, let's just, you know, for the modern fan, we're talking about since Wrestle Kingdom 9, I can't think of any time where it's been this bad with any group or individual. Right. And now people horrible want to point back to, you know, the original Bullet Club with their, their run-ins and this Bullet Club's whole run will all see through uh, Fergal all the way to um, Kenny and even Jay White, and people want to point to the interference. And yes, they did do interference. They did do run-ins and cheating. But like you mentioned, it was done to get – it got heat, and you wanted to see a babyface beat the heel. You wanted to see Tanahashi beat Prince Devitt. You wanted to see Zuchiko Okada uh, beat AJ Styles. You wanted to see these guys, Kota Ibushi, beat Jay White. Like, they, they did it right to where you – they, they cheated, they got the heat, they got you upset, but you, you wanted to see the Bayface come back and beat these guys and get revenge on, on those guys. But now we're at a point where it's like they've just been doing heat 
for heat's sake, uh, in a clap crowd arena where you can't get any reactions, uh, you can't get any booze, you you can't get you know people upset, and you you really don't want to see these guys get uh, revenge on them. You don't want to see them at all. Um, it, it's go away heat at this point. Yeah, the um when I think about bad matches in the Tokyo Dome, I know there's been a lot for sure, but in modern times, like since Wrestle Kingdom eight or nine. I can't think of that many. Um, and since the wrestle, since they started doing the Wrestle Kingdom shows, not just January Fourth Tokyo Dome shows. I mean, like you mentioned, the two that really stand out as notoriously like bad was like Jeff Hardy and Tetsuya Naito, and Jeff Hardy is like drugged out. Like, so we're comparing this match to a match where a guy's literally <laughs> drugged out. The other match is the tag match between Sakuraba and Yuji against the Gracies um, Daniel Gracie and I think the other one was Holes Gracie I could be wrong we're literally talking about a match where two guys are not trained to wrestle and they're doing a rolling around MMA style match and it ended in a DQ and the crowd was big mad about it uh, and that's that might be worse than this but uh, I don't know if you consider the amount of talent they probably did more with what they could do than what these guys did. I mean, we know for a fact that if Evil e- if Evil and Ishii wanted to go out there and have a three-star match, just a sleepwalk show and yo match, they could have easily done it. But my God, bro. I mean, yeah, uh, this is definitely contention. It's like a top 10 worst ever Tokyo match. And um, it, it is the worst rated New Japan Tokyo match in... Um, I believe cage match history. It's the second lowest on on grapples. I mean, we're not alone on this. This was horrible. Right, and, and we've seen Ishii and Evil have decent matches in the past. Obviously, it, it was Lij Evil, but even some of their previous How to Torture versus Evil matches weren't as bad as this. So it's like I get it. You want to do the Togo stuff, the Togoism? Why can't these guys go out here have a a decent match? And then you do your little togoism at the end and do your finish. Yeah, I feel like we should move on, but I just I don't want it to be understated how horrible this was. Plus, like, dude, Ishii. I mean, you know, a lot of people are complaining that he doesn't get singles matches in the dome, and I I did point out he had a great match with Saber a couple years ago. But the fact of the matter does remain it's it's not that often. Ishii gets opportunities to wrestle in singles capacity in the dome. It's been a long time since he's been this high up on the card during the Tokyo Dome. And for someone with his talents and abilities to have given as much as he's given of his body and his health (laughs) and the performances that he's given over the years, and he's getting older and he's not going to be able to do what he was able to do all these years like there is coming a day where Ishii won't be Ishii anymore you know and he's gonna and it's gonna happen with the way he wrestles it's gonna happen quick one night he's just not gonna have it anymore right it's gonna be one injury and then suddenly he's just gonna be like you know what he's gonna be like he's gonna be like Makabe and Tenzan Mm. he's gonna be a guy that's not mobile who still can hit and throw elbows and throw headbutts but he just won't be able to do what he could do anymore and for the company to like reward him by putting him in one of the worst matches in the history of the Tokyo Dome, 
it's really uh i don't know it's insulting and it's insulting to the fans too like because they could have put anybody in here they could have put doki or wato in here with ishii and this would have rocked literally anybody nagata kojima yeah bro hanma they could have put hanma in here they could have put tenzan in here and it would have fucking ruled this is gross yeah, this this was horrible. So let, let's move on and talk about the the last uh, few matches here. So after this abomination, we had the IWGP Tag Team Title Match and the Tokyo Dome Curse lives on as we have new tag team champs, the Chaos Team of Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi. They defeat the Dangerous Techers, Taichi and Zack Saber Jr. Fifteen minutes and twenty seven seconds. Why would you call this a curse? I think of it as the Tokyo Dome blessing. <laughs> I mean, I feel like if you go through that World Tag League and you win it, you should win these titles no matter what. Like, no questions asked. You should never not win the titles if you win the World Tag League. Period. Well, well it, it's it's a blessing for the challengers. It's it's a curse for the champions. Oh man! But um, this match was interesting. Um, Goto and Yoshihashi, you know, um, they had that very long, prolonged run with the six-man tag titles with Ishii all year. Uh, they've had quite a bit of success, in, maybe not in terms of matches one, but in terms of, uh, you know, great matches, quality matches throughout the year. Uh, they challenged several times for the IWGP tag team titles without any success previously. And then, um, you know, they won the World Tag League, which was a big deal, and taken on Dangerous Techers, the, you know, Tokyo Sports awarded uh, Tag Team of the Year and pretty much the team that's been carrying this division past couple years. And uh, they went out there and I thought that they had a good, I would not call it a great, but I thought it was a good to the point match. But what was interesting was that the Chaos team kind of beat Dangerous Tecker's ass emphatically. Blew them out. They blew them out and they beat them. One, two, three, clean as a whistle, clean as a sheet, no shenanigans, no questions, no ifs, ands, or buts. And if you wanted to do something here to kind of make Goto and Yoshihashi as like the established tag team of the division, they did it. Yeah, and this all plays off what we saw in the World Tag League. Goto and Yoshihashi did get a win over Techers there. And of course, Techers told them, you know, you need to win the league so we can have the rematch so we can get our revenge. Um, they did end up winning the tag league and having this matchup here, and yeah, it just kind of showed like Goto and Yoshihashi they have Dangerous Tekkers number. You know, Dangerous Tekkers they try a lot of their combination moves. They they went for the Holy Zack Driver. They went for a lot of their double team moves. They just weren't able to hit it. Goto and Yoshihashi they were just always one step ahead of these guys um, and were, were faster, able to hit their double team combos. And really, yeah, it was like you know if it was like a football game, this would be like a, a blowout. It would have been like you know a team that scored like. Four or five touchdowns, and the other team hasn't scored anything. Um, and, yeah, it's Georgia versus Michigan. <laughs> yeah, you know, they, they tried <laughs> the, their best. I mean, they tried, but no matter what they did, they just kind of got overwhelmed uh, by Goto and Yoshihashi, and then you know they end up hitting their uh, their new uh, double team move, where it's like a full Nelson uh, powerbomb swing kind of thing, and they get the win. Yeah, um, the post match promo um, with. Uh, well, with Yoshihashi, it was really interesting because Yoshihashi was like, wow, it feels really good to hold a title belt that says IWGP on it. <laughs> yeah. 
So he's not as big of a fan of the Never Committee as we are. He's much more, he's a IWGP aficionado. But, uh, you know, that was a really special thing. I mean, if you think about it, Yoshihashi returned from a excursion and made his re-debut against Kazushiko Okada at Wrestle Kingdom in the Tokyo Dome. And it's been an uphill battle for this guy ever since then. <laughs> and, um, you know, the there was like a time where it really seemed feasible that he would never hold any gold in this company. I mean, Yoshihashi used to be the punching bag of this podcast. I hated the guy. I literally buried him anytime I could. And um, we've worked our, ourselves to the point where him and Goto as, as tag team titles is very believable. And um, if for nothing else, that's one of the major successes of this year's World Tag League. And uh, post-match techers were sad, dude. Yeah, they're, man. Uh, <laughs> Depressed. They're, did you see the post-match comments? Uh, well, I saw like, the, the post-match. Like, afterwards, like, they, like, paid respect to Goto and Yoshihashi afterwards. But then even, like, after when they were leaving the ring, like, Heads down, look depressed. Uh, you know, Miho Abe was trying to uh, console them, and it, they just look hurt. Yeah, during the press conference, they were sad. And, like, Taichi was talking about how he holds Zach back, and, you know, they wanted to be the best, but they can't be the best because Taichi's on the team. <laughs> <on the> t- <laughs> <laughs> and Zach was saying, no, I let you down, and, they were like, we don't know if this is the end for Dane. They were literally talking like this is the end for them. Um, I don't know that I believe that to be the case, but, you know, the the question's very much in the air whether Dangerous Techers will reunite or continue on at all after this. And if they're done, that, that might be the swan song for them in the division. <laughs> yeah. So um, they were sad. I mean, uh, I know it's I know it's a, it's a work, but, they, bro, I believe them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it was uh it was uh Yoshihashi who got the pin on Tai Chi again, who got uh Yoshihashi beat Tai Chi in the G one, kinda of start Tai Chi's slump. So it's kind of been a recurring theme here of Yoshihashi getting the pin on Tai Chi. Yeah, and who knows? This might be the beginning of a redemption story for either Tai Chi or the Dangerous Techers. But um, you know, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens going forward for this new chaos tag team. Um, they've kind of, you know, and, you know, good on Goto too. another guy who, you know, for years, people have talked about how he's been underutilized and not used to his potential and blah, blah, blah. And then I feel like after that chaos six man trio run that helped revitalize him. And then now he's back in the tag team picture. And I mean, sure. It's not the IWGP title. It's not a white belt or whatever, but, uh, you know, he's here. And he's doing the thing, and he's having great matches. So, I mean, that's I feel like they're they found a spot for him, which is good. Yeah. Well, let's move on here to the semi-main event of the evening. We had the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title on the line. The champion, El Desperado, successfully defends against the best of Super Junior 28 winner, Hiromu Takahashi, in 16 minutes and 18 seconds. Um. Really awesome match. Hiromu came out in another one of those giant, puffy blanket comforter robes. It's a squid gimmick. <laughs> yeah, like the so the first time he ever did that, I think it was when he came back from injury, and it was against Osprey two years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the first time I saw it, I was like, "Wow, that's like incredible! I really like that." 
but as time has gone on, it's sort of morphed into this really like ugly sort of like I don't know what the fuck he's wearing anymore. There's like all these arms and weird things coming out of it, and I'm like, bro, <laughs> it's becoming a bit much. I liked when he I liked when he used to bring out Daryl. Like, <laughs> I'm much more I'm I'm a bigger fan of Hiromu in the Daryl era, you know? Yeah. Um. So, but anyways. He comes out, does his thing, and then Despy came out. Despy was wearing the all white, looking all fresh, gold, looking fresh, looking clean. And I'm like, fuck yeah, you know. And um, tons and tons and tons of history between these two guys. And they went out there and they had a war. They had a, a junior banger, you know. Um, a lot of the things we talked about that we sort of expected from like Show and Yo. We got here from Desperado and Hiromu. These are two guys that know how to play off their history. You know, tons of just overhand chops, the Lucha style overhand chops, lots of dives, lots of death-defying maneuvers, high spots, very fast-paced, very hard-hitting. I thought this match was incredible. Um, The one thing I would really kind of complain about, and I don't know if maybe it had something to do with time constraints, they really did seem to be telling a story about how 30 minutes was not long enough for Desperado and Hiromu to kind of decide at this point who the better man was. And they were going to need more than that. But then they went out there and they had a 16-minute match. And it at no point did it ever feel like they were going to go long because of how fast they're wrestling. And I mean, I, that's not a complaint. I liked the pace of the match. But it's not like New Japan normally to kind of tease something like that and then not pay it off. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, it is kind of similar to what we saw with uh, some of the Young Lions series where, you know, the 10-minute the limit is not enough. And so then they go to 15, and then they do get a finish. So it's kind of similar to that. But even so, you would think, yeah, with how much they tease the 30-minute draw with, the, you know, the Super Junior match and then the tag match on the road to, you would think, all right, they're definitely with an hour time limit in the title match. That they're going to go at least 30 minutes. They didn't even have to go the full 30. I mean, I think it'd be kind of cool that they're teasing they're going to go 30 and then at like 27 or 28 or something like that, you know, Despy gets the win and it's like, oh shit, he didn't even need it. You know what I mean? Right. That'd be cool too. But I think but what this... they what they were going for here though, it's like, all right, I, I know I can't beat this guy going thirty at like a normal pace. Like I need, we need to kick it in full gear, like straight from the get go, so that so one okay. of, so one of us could win. And so it's kind of like you know, they they kind of skip like the first half of their matches. Like there wasn't that normal kind of like feeling out period. Like they they went straight to it. You know, Despi's hitting the the suicide Topic and Hilo. Hiromu's hitting the suicide. Uh, I mean the. Um, the sunset bomb. These guys are hitting all their big moves. Bang, bang, bang. Right from the beginning, the chop sequences. Like, they're wrestling so fast and doing all these big moves. It's like both of them had in their mind. Like, we just need to throw it all out right now. Or else we know that we're not going to be able to beat the guy in the time limit. Okay. That makes sense. With that being said, though, I still do think this would have benefited from a little bit extra time. Yeah. I, I felt it was cut a little short. Um, There's sometimes where I think a match needs less time. And time, other times where I think it needs a little more time. I think Despi Hiromu, given the fact that it was the semi-main event and everything like that, I felt like they could have benefited from a little bit more time because I really enjoyed what they did out there. Uh, but at the end of the day, Desperado hit the pinche loco, and he 
he did the, uh, the the famous version of it where he uh, hit it, rolled through, and then hit the full-on turning Pinche Loco on Hiromu Takahashi, got the emphatic one, two, three. I think this is the first time that he's ever, like, fully, cleanly, completely, at, at least since they're, like, uh, returns from excursion, beat him in such a clean, decisive manner. And uh, kind of tells you, like, he's he's the dude at Junior now. You know, for years it's been Hiromu. Even recently, Hiromu won the best of the Super Juniors. You know, I think a lot of people, you know, especially maybe more casual fans, were expecting Hiromu to kind of do what he's done year after year after year, you know, win that tournament, headline the Dome, beat the champion, establish himself as the guy. And Desperado was, like, not fucking having it. And I was, bro, I was so happy. Like, I love Hiromu, but, like, to see, we've, we've wanted them to make stars for years. They finally have gone in on Desperado. And to see him, like, beat this man who he's not been able to beat after all these years and after all these titanic struggles, and he goes out there and he just fucking beats him, I, I was so happy. Yeah, I was happy too. You know, I was on you know on the team here, wanting Despy to get the win here, and it was it was definitely needed because you know it would have been the same old thing if you just have Romu run through division during Super Juniors and then wins the title. It's like, all right, what's next? Like, what can you possibly do to make this compelling if Romu were to win? And with the border still being closed, there's not a lot of new challengers you can bring in there. So I definitely think this was the right call. It was the, the best decision to do. Have Desperado win. Have him win clean as a sheet. And you really establish him now as a top dog, and you can really start to elevate him more. Because like we saw in the you know, the last two Super Junior tours, as you know, as much as he was getting pushed, he wasn't featured a lot. Even you know, being a champion this past year, Super Junior, he wasn't featured a lot in the main events, the semi main events. Like Hiromi was getting most of those main event spots. So this is a great step into establishing establishing Desperado and having him be able to do maybe more main events. Going into next year's Super Juniors and just make creating a new star because Hiromu right now it's been Hiromu and friends and so you, you need somebody else you need to create another star another another drawing so you just can't you don't always rely on Hiromu. Yeah, post post show Hiromu was uh, talking about how he knows what he needs to do uh, to kind of get to where he needs to go, but he's gonna let that you know he's kind of playing it close to the chest for now and he's gonna figure out what his next steps are. But Desperado was talking shit, not against Romu, but against um, kind of the world. Uh, and he started talking about how not only in New Japan are there challengers, but there's other guys out there. And he started teasing. He was like, you know, El Lindemann, Seahawk are here. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I would love to see something like that go down. And, you know, he's got history with those guys, I believe, down in Mexico. Um, from when the strong hearts were kind of working down there. So, I mean, I would love if somehow this glee slash glate, uh, you know, whatever, whatever ends up being, if there's some sort of uh, relationship there, if that could blossom into anything between new Japan, especially Desperado and maybe one of those guys would be really cool. Yeah, that would be awesome. And with the 50th year, we know they're planning on working with more companies and, you know, the junior division could definitely benefit from them using domestic juniors from other promotions. Yeah, it was great seeing, you know, Lindemann and T-Hawk um, in the Tokyo Dome accompanying uh, Shima. So, yeah, it'd be great to see those guys uh, mix it up with Desperado, take some juniors from Noah, get some Dragon Gate guys in there. 
you know, get some fresh matchups, get some fresh challenges for Desperado. Uh, hopefully, Super Juniors, we don't we don't have the certain time frame of it yet, but hopefully it'll be a double block tournament again, regardless when it when it is, and we can get some uh, fresh juniors in there from Japan, just mix some things up. All right, let's move on to the main event of the evening here for the IWGP World Heavyweight title. We have a new champion, the Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada, defeats the Rampage Dragon, Chingo Takagi, 35 minutes and 44 seconds. How many how many Wrestle Kingdoms have we have we reviewed on the show? Uh so our first one would have been uh twenty eighteen. Okay. So that was Wrestle Kingdom twelve? Yeah. So twelve, thirteen, two nights of fourteen, two nights of fifteen. So that's six nights. And this would have been the seventh. And for seven consecutive main events. The young boy has not missed. <laughs> <laughs> I stay getting these Wrestle Kingdom main events right every every year, regardless. And um, you know, I just want to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think a, a lot of people were uh, leaning in the Okada nope, camp. Just here. me, just me. <laughs> uh, run, run back the audio from last week. I think uh, me and Chris. Those were... <laughs> Uh, yeah, going but, into But um this match, man, um, you know, awesome, awesome match. Um I would maybe say, in my opinion, probably the best Okada Shingo match. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I would probably say it's their best one because this one builds on the history of the other two matches. Well, all their matches, because even if you go back to their first match in the G1 in 2020, Okada beat Shingo with the money clip there where Shingo passed out and was like gasping for air. And so here in this match, we saw Okada trying to use the, the money clip throughout because he knew that he was able to beat Shingo with that in the G1 2020. Uh, but what Chingo has proven all this year, because he's beaten Okada twice, you know, he's proven that he he has the answer for the money clip, and we saw all kinds of reversals mm. here. And then also, the, uh, Shingo had not really experienced the the Rainmaker, but we know that Okada has been doing the Rainmaker again and has gone back to kind of quote unquote himself. And so that was a big thing here is that was the, was a new weapon of the Rainmaker, and would Chingo be able to avoid it? Interestingly enough, I'm looking at Cage Match just as a reference guide. And um, every match that they've had, now we don't know what Dave has rated it yet with, with uh, Wrestling Observer, but he rated the first match their, the best. He rated that over five. And then their second match, four and three quarters. And then their third match, four and a half. So he has uh, incrementally given it less and less. Conversely, the Cage Match Raiders have done the same thing. Hmm. Um, including with this match. So um, every single one of these four matches has had a, a round or just over 200 voters. So it's about a comparable sample size. And it seems that most people think the first match, the first G1 match, is the best one at like 9.3. And then every single other one's in the 8.8 range, but this is the lowest so far. And you know, with it being a day late and then some time is going to pass, it's probably going to drop a little bit long, a little bit more. So I don't know, maybe the general consensus is other people are, are lower on this than maybe we are. 
but you know, I that might make sense because I've never been as high on the series as other people. Um, you know, and but I think it's right in line with where I saw the other matches. I I pretty much think all of them are about four and a half, <laughs> which is not which isn't horrible, you know. But um, I I've never felt like Shingo Okada is this classic series the way other people have. That being said, you brought up a great point. You know, the the a lot of the story has been based on the idea that Okada has been was utilizing the uh, the money clip, and Shingo's kind of found a way around that after the first match, especially this past year. And it's sort of starting to feel like Okada might be um, kind of moving the money clip, and the company itself might be moving the money clip to the back burner which I would be happy if that's the case because it's sort of feeling like it's sort of just a, a, a near fall spot at this point, more so than anything else. Right. Um, but this match was really, in my opinion, I thought this match was really great, hard hitting action. Um, the biggest stage set for these two guys that they've ever had up to this point. Um, some of those pumping bombers that Shingo hit Okada with were really, really, really nasty, especially, uh, he left a black eye on him for night two. There's one where he just literally hit the guy in the face. I'm sure it wasn't on purpose, but uh, just fucking mollywopped him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was intense. I mean, Shingo was just hitting this man with lariats left and right between the, the pumping bomber and the, the Yukon lariat. Uh, throughout the match, you had Okada was focusing on the the, uh, the head of Shingo while Shingo was focusing, focusing on the back. You know, earlier in the match, you had Okada hit the DET on the floor. But Shingo answered back with suplex on the floor um, to Okada. Uh, there was one point where um, Shingo, he was looking for the, the stay dream, which is that top rope uh, Death Valley driver type maneuver that he does. Um, he looked like he was going to try to do it to the outside at one point. But then Okada turned it into an avalanche DDT, which was pretty crazy. Yeah, which was, that was almost reminiscent to what he did to uh, Jeff Cobb in their G1 match. Right, yeah. So, yeah, a lot of great back and forth here. A lot of great, especially towards the end. There were just so many great sequences. I feel like Shingo was, like, fighting for his life because he knew if he got hit with the Rainmaker, it'd be over. And just counter after counter, he was just fighting so hard to uh, not get hit with the the Rainmaker. He escapes the landslide tombstone. um, And then, but unfortunately, he gets hit with that drop kick. Okada hits the landslide and then hits the Rainmaker. One, two, three. And that was it for Shingo. Yeah, and sort of, um, you know, that's sort of been the story since this year's G1. Um, we've talked about the re the rehabilitation of the Rainmaker because it's kind of become a thing now where, like, if he hits you with just one of those, he can pin you. And th- I mean, there was a time not so long ago where it was taking him two, three, sometimes four Rainmakers, depending on who the individual was, to put people away, and that's kind of gone away. Um but I think a lot of that is built off the back of that landslide. You know, uh, the tombstone used to be his go-to setup for the Rainmaker, but now it seems to be that landslide. And I think in the kayfabe sense, that sort of seems to be what has given the Rainmaker its extra um for its extra effectiveness. You know what I mean? Right, because, I mean, the landslide could be a finisher in itself. Like, that's how that sit-out tombstone it looks nasty every time he does it. Then yeah, at that point yeah. the the guy's so dazed, yeah, he just hits him with the rainmaker, and yeah, there's there's no getting up after that. Yeah, and I don't think a lot of people are really bringing that point up, but it's something I've noticed where it's like at this point, if he hits.
hits you with that and then he's able to successfully hit the rainmaker he is probably going to beat you the other thing too is um that was the other big talking point of the match uh you know uh, correct me if i'm wrong i don't think anyone's kicked out last the dragon right i don't think so i don't think so but um he's never hit shingo with a rainmaker and in any of their singles matches so he hadn't really even tasted it yet and that was kind of the big question is like which one of these two guys is going to be the first to get to their big move mm-hmm. whoever it is is probably going to win the match and okada was the first one to hit his big move um shingo was never actually able to hit the last of the dragon at all so it sort of seems like okada found the right um game plan to avoid his downfall and was able to implement his game plan a little bit better and um that was kind of Shingo's undoing, and it's sort of like if they do have another match in the future, that's going to be the impetus on him is to find a way to either escape getting hit with a Rainmaker or to overcome it or, you know, whatever that might be for him, whatever that looks like. But uh, that was the other big part of the match. It's like he's just – he's never hit been hit with the Rainmaker. Once he, once he was, it was game over for him. Yeah, and there were some other uh, big moves that Shingo did throughout the match to it to try to get to that last of the dragon. You know, there was a point where he had uh, two main Japan's back to back for a near fall. There was one point where they were outside and he got Okada up for a Death Valley driver on the ramp. We just heard the thud echo throughout the Tokyo Dome. That was a pretty cool spot there. Yeah, and for a guy that uh, <laughs> you know, they talk about him not being able to like um, take stuff to his back and everything like that. He he has been doing some pretty crazy outside uh bumps uh that's okada that i'm speaking of (laughs) like that suplex on the outside on his back was really nasty um yeah this was your classic okada big match dome match and i mean okada is one of the absolute best tokyo dome main event performers that there's ever been and him and shingo they went out there and they tore the house down i'm not as high on this as a lot of other people are but um, for me, I don't know. I think I enjoyed it a, a little. I think that their matches, in my opinion, are very much um, orchestrated for the crowd. And mm. I feel like the main thing that's hurt a lot of their matches for me, and I think I've said this almost every time, is that there's a lack of crowd response because of uh, uh, because of the protocols and everything like that. And I think one thing that did help was just being in the dome and and the noise and the reverberation and the ambiance and everything like that. I think that helped uh, everything for me quite a bit. But uh, that being said, um, you know, I'm still a little bit lower on this. I've seen some pretty high scores. I'm, I went four and a half, but I there was a part of me that was gutted because <laughs> I really wanted Shingo to win, even though I was calling for Okada to probably be the likely winner. I kind of wanted Shingo to stick it up everyone's, you know, uh, you know, stick it where the sun do- doesn't shine and be like, fuck it, I'm the man in this company. I don't give a fuck. Right. But uh, unfortunately, he was not able to retain his title, and Okada is the reigning world champion. Yeah, I, I want the full five on it. I know I'm probably on the high end of a couple other people, but for me, I just thought it was a masterpiece. I didn't see any flaws any botches i thought they told that's an excellent story incorporating all the their previous matches and just the stakes going into the match and me just want like i, I knew okada was going to win in my head but i just wanted chingo to win so bad 
and I I popped for a lot of the near fall that Chingo got uh, in this matchup. So absolutely loved it. Uh, Post match, we had Okada. He before accepting the world title, he brings back the the B four and lays it down. He he bows to it, pretty much uh, kind of saying you know thank you and, and goodbye to the title. And then he finally accepts the uh, world heavyweight title. And then we had uh, Will Ospreay coming out in uh, his jeans and his uh, bathrobe and announced Okada as the new interim champion. And they, they will face off um, the following night. And uh, Okada said, uh, bye, fake champion, <laughs> as uh, Ospreay was <laughs> rocking off. That was pretty funny. <laughs> um, so during the post-match uh, closing show comments, he said that one reason he brought the V4 belt back is because, uh, you know, it meant, it meant so much to him and so much to the company. And we never got a chance to properly say goodbye to it. And that, that was all well and good. But he's like, for me, the IWGP title has carried this company for the last 50 years. And I felt like we need to give it the right send off. And I, I thought to myself, I'm like, the last 50 years of New Japan Pro Wrestling, the IWGP title has carried this <laughs> There wasn't a fucking IWGP title in 1972 or in 73. Or for most of the years, you know, following like they didn't create that title until 1987. Um, so I just I don't know. Like Okada, you know, he's a great guy, but I don't think he knows his history. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it was uh, very fitting to see him um, say goodbye to the V4 belt. He finally has embraced the world title. You know, it's kind of funny. Shit's not hot when he doesn't have it, but suddenly it's around his waist, and you know it's that new hotness, and everything's gravy, you know. Right? It's like, yeah, we should we should really get behind this this world heavyweight title. <laughs> we should really support this world heavyweight title now that I am the champion. Of <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny, but um, yeah, and then uh, you know, like you said, Will came out, dude. I barely understood some of the stuff Will was saying, like. You know, and he's like, I understood Okada's English better, and <laughs> Okada doesn't even speak English, dude. Like, but uh, Will came out, talked a bunch of smack, left. You know, um, oh, also, I wanted to say I love the entrance attires of both. I, I, I thought Okada and um, Shingo's gears were really like raw. I, I, I heard a lot of people that didn't like Okada's gear, they thought it like looked too much like Naito or that it looked cheap. I don't know. That was kind of lost on me. I, I thought, like, a change of uh, look was good for him. Yeah, and, I, um, I loved his gear. Uh, the the Anoki tribute uh, robe and hair was cool, and, like, his robe had, like, the history yes. of New Japan written all over it. Yeah, um, they've given us those I Heart NJPW shirts as, like, a promotional um, material in the past, and those are really cool because on the back they have, like, history of new japan and all this different information and um i don't know you know i, I, don't, I don't know much about the japanese written language i think is it kanji is that the i don't know i think there's a lot of different uh, yeah i'm not 100 sure what that one was but i don't know what what they used but they said that it was the the writing like the little symbols were detailing like a lot of the history of new japan in the robe itself and i'm like that is so fucking cool <laughs> yeah like like yeah that robe was awesome and, and like that he had the robe and the um and the towel and like kind of like alluding to anoki and alluding to the look of fujinami and i was like man i love that uh so i mean i don't know i i really i thought the presentation 
just around all around on on that part of night one was awesome. Yeah, great, great, like Wrestle Kingdom level entrances. So um, before we move on, um, you know, my final thoughts. I thought the world title match was great. I thought the junior title match was great. I thought the tag match was good. And I thought the Shibata match was a great moment. Everything else was uh, pretty disappointing or I didn't think belonged on the show. So I thought it was a show in two parts, honestly. Yeah, it pretty much was. Because it was almost like you had like a, a road to level show towards the beginning. Then you, you get the great Shibata moment. And then it falls off with the, the evil match and then picks back up with the last three title matches. But here's the thing. If that evil Ishii match had delivered on a, on a high level, we'd be looking at this show entirely differently. You know, that was the that was the, like a pivotal linchpin in terms of like how that show was perceived. And it, it even kind of brought down my uh, enjoyment of the tag title match a little bit. Cause it took me a while to kind of recover from what I just saw, you know. <laughs> so, right. And I think it might uh, have helped the flow of the show if they even like swapped the Shibata Ishii match. Because then you would, you would have yeah. came back from intermission, had the great Shibata moment, throw it in the tag match, flow to junior match, and then flow into the main event. It would have came off a little bit better. I I agree. I agree. Uh, but you want to let's jump into night two real quick. <laughs> yeah. So we had uh, three pre-show matches that were announced um, on January fourth that were going to take place here on uh, January fifth. So the for first the losers, yeah, <laughs> for all the losers and geeks. Uh, first of those, actually, Desperado was in one of these, and I was like, wait, he didn't lose, right? <laughs> uh, we'll get to that why that why that happened. Uh, but first, we had a great bash heel, Makabe and Hanma. They teamed with Blue Justice, Yuji Nagata. They defeated. The Bullet Club team of Fale, Gato, and Jado. Six minutes, four seconds. Uh, not much there. Just a quick little opener. The, big, the only thing that was interesting there is that Tomoaki Hanma was able to hit the Kokashi off the second rope and pick up the pinfall win, which never happens. So I think that was just kind of like a, a little bit of an attaboy for him, you know? Yeah, because uh, also he always misses that Kokashi. Doesn't always get the pin. So yeah, kind of a, a big little moment there for Hanma. A big little moment. <laughs> Uh, then we had uh, Master Wato and Tenkoji. They defeated the Suzuki team of Elsperado, Takamichinoku, and Yoshinobu Kanamaru. Uh, big story here is Master Wato got a submission victory over the current junior champ, Elsperado. Yeah, um, I think the move that he used as his new uh, submission move is actually the same sub that we've seen. Um, Naito used very often in the past, but they act like they've never seen it before. Yeah, it seems like I've seen people call it a modified Anaconda Vice kind of in tribute to uh, Tenzon. It's not an Anaconda Vice. He had his legs wrapped around his body and pulled his head forward like a neck crank. That's what I'm seeing some reviewers call it. Uh, That's weird. I don't know. I mean, we've seen him do an Anaconda Vice in the past. Yeah. I don't know. But it, it's the same move that we've seen Naito use many, many, many times in the past. So I don't know. But Wato, either way, we'll figure out more. Wato busted out a new submission move, and he was able to tap out El Desperado. So looks like he's on deck as the next title challenger. So, you know, um, you know, fuck it, ELP. That, ty- that, that last big win you got on the uh, Super Junior Finals doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, or any of the other people that beat Desperado during the uh Super Junior. Right, like the four or five people <laughs> that beat Despi in that tournament. Yeah. Y'all get back in line behind Watto. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Then the uh, main event pre-show match here was... Main event pre-show match? <laughs> <laughs> uh, was the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu, and Shingo. That's right, the uh, former world champ, Shingo. They defeated the Suzuki team of Doki and the Dangerous Techers, 10 minutes and 28 seconds here, with Shingo getting the last of the dragon on Doki to get the win here. Hey, say what you will about this match, but for me, this was Doki's... Wrestle Kingdom moment. He went balls to the wall. He's he's like, I'm not going back. <laughs> yeah, he uh he fucking went all out for this main event undercard dark show match. Yes, this man was out here doing, you know, the Senton dives off the top, flipping all over the place and just, you know, wrestling super fast, going, you know, wrestling his heart out while everybody else is probably trying to take a chill. He's like, nah, I'm I'm, I'm wilding out right now. So this is my shot. Yeah, we're not getting a uh, New Year's Dash, so this was like Doki's New Year's Dash moment. Like he he's fucking going all out, you know. Yeah. And uh, but alas, he ate a uh, last of the dragon, ate the pinfall. Shingo's back on top, you know. He lost last night, but he had to start from the bottom. Start with Doki, and he's gonna work his way through the entire roster to get back in title contention. Yeah. <laughs> he's gotta start with the Brooklyn Brawler. Yeah. Doki's the Brooklyn Brawler right now. <laughs> uh, she goes the Rock. <laughs> so then we kick things off on the main card with the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Title three three way match. The champs, Flying Tiger, Robbie Eagles, and Tiger Mask, they retain the titles and defeat Bull Club's cutest tag team of ELP and Taiji Shimori and the mega coaches Rocky Romero and Rizka Gucci. Twelve minutes and seven seconds. Yeah, so this match was interesting. Um. Obviously, the big story is towards the tail end of the match. Um, ELP tried to load up the boot and do the sudden death, and he was it was intervened and used to inadvertently strike Taiji Ishimori so that he was kind of eliminated from the match. At that point, both teams of Mega Coaches and uh, Flying Tiger, they kind of joined forces, held El Fantasmo down on the ground, one thing I didn't understand is why, if El Fantasmo was being held prone on the ground with his shoulders on the mat, why the referee didn't just count him out for the one, two, three, because he was clearly being pinned, but <laughs> never mind that. Um, but while he was held down, they undid his boot, undid his laces, took a look inside, and revealed that he did, in fact, have some sort of form of foreign metal object. Uh, when they pulled it out, it looked to me like a bunch of tinfoil like put <laughs> it didn't look like anything menacing at all. But uh, you know, he's had a loaded boot this whole time and it is now emphatically proven. And uh, you know, the referee made a judgment call. I I was hey, hats off to a new Japan referee making a clear, strong judgment call when it came to, you know, you know, improper use of weapons. And uh he eliminated ELP and Taiji Shimori from the match altogether, and from that point turned it into a standard rules tag team match. Yeah, I think this is a point that you've made in the past when it comes to three ways and triple threats. It's like you know a lot of North American promotions when they do three ways, it's like it's no disqualification. And I think you made the point. It's like, well, why is the match no disqualification? Just because you're adding one more guy to it. Like there should still be the regular rules, and if somebody does something, that one person should get disqualified and thrown out when the match becomes I think one the team should I think if, if or that one person yeah if it's yeah. a triple threat and it's or, or if it's a team either way but I think I think count outs should still exist 
And if you get counted out, you're just out of the match. I don't think the match should end. I think you should just get eliminated. And I think same thing if you get DQ'd, you know? Right. So, yeah, I, I enjoy that here. It made a ton of sense. It's like, don't end the whole match because of, of one team. Yeah, throw out the problem team and let the other two teams go at it. That's what they did here. But one thing I would say, um, while I thought the match was good, to me, and this is just my opinion, I, I saw this as only like a half measure above your standard Road to Multiman match in terms of um, pacing and, you know, maneuvers, high-risk maneuvers. Like, we've seen so many um, junior three-ways and junior four-ways uh, for tag matches open up Wrestle Kingdom and Tokyo Dome cards in the past. And several of those are like wild, wild affairs. And while I wouldn't say this was bad, I think that they did some good death-defying stuff for sure, for sure. It just, I mean, especially since the next match was that uh, stardom, you know, tag team match where those girls were going balls to the wall. This just didn't have that same sort of feeling for me. You know what I mean? I was a little bit let down by the the pacing and the... um, I don't know. It's the opener. I just, considering who was in it, I just thought that these guys were capable of doing a little bit more than they actually did. Um, it was fine. It wasn't bad by any by any means. I would take this over Show and Yo any day. But uh, I just kind of thought we'd get more, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it for what it was. I was like a three and a half on it. Uh, I thought these guys, they worked really hard. I thought Robbie Eagles especially was like the... Like the main workhorse, he was like flipping and flopping and flying all over the place and working really hard. And you know, they told a fun story. They they paid off the the year long, you know, sudden death uh, storyline with a loaded boot. You had Rocky and Taguchi trying to become the sixty nine champions, uh, but failing. Uh, overall, I, th- I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I thought it was fun, and you know, I agree with all those points. I just wanted more. Yeah. You know? Um, I'm. I don't know. When I see all these flippy dudes, I want more flips. <laughs> <laughs> um, especially since uh, they got smoked by these girls that came after them. I mean, smoked. But uh, ultimately, um, Flying Tiger have retained. A uh, really cool moment for Tiger Mask. You know, I didn't expect to see Tiger Mask, you know, retaining junior heavyweight tag team titles in the Dome in 2022. Um also, I think a lot of people expected them to lose because Robbie Eagles has dates in Australia and that sort of thing, plus just the numerology of, like, the 69th title and uh, Taguchi's history with 69. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think a lot of people thought it made sense for the Mega Coaches to win. I think that there's a chance that Mega Coaches might still beat them in a return match later on in one of these upcoming tours. Um just because, I mean, I, I don't know, Rocky did the quarantining and everything like that to get into the country. I don't see him necessarily going right back to the States, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I think um, he, well, him and ELP, I think, are both set for the uh, new beginning in USA, which is starting in the middle of January. All right, well, then, you know, don't listen to me. Listen to Jeremy. <laughs> but, um, you know, good opener. Yeah, definitely a good opener here. So then we move on to the uh, special stardom tag team match here. We have the team of Saya Kamatani and Tam Nakano defeating the team of Mayu Iwatani and Starlight Kid. So we have uh, four ladies from four of the top factions in stardom. 
Mayu Iwatani representing Stars. Uh, Starlight Kid used to be in Stars, but she uh, they lost a match in June where the losing team would get to pick uh, somebody from the other faction. They lost to Oedo Tai, so they picked uh, Starlight Kid to join their group. And since then, she's uh, rocked the she's o- evil. yeah rocked the, the Oedo Tai colors. Rich calls her a, a terrorist now. <laughs> um, and then on the other side, we had. Um, Tam Nakano from Cosmic Angels, which is also used to be a, a part of Stars, and they uh, broke off. And then we had Saya Kamatani, who uh, Saya and Tam they had a match on the 29th at the Stardom Dream uh, Queendom, where Saya defeated Tam for the Wonder of Stardom Championship, which is their white belt. So essentially, you had uh, two um, kind of strange bedfellows here. Kind of can they coexist uh, matchup here? Yeah. And also sort of like a mother-daughter uh, mentor-mentee sort of situation. Mayu sort of being like the uh, senior to Starlight Kid in their, uh, I guess, history. And then similar situation with Tam and Saya. Tam sort of being the uh, mentor to Saya. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also Starlight Kid is the current high-speed champion. So you had her coming in with her title and Saya coming in with her title and Man, boy, oh boy, these girls are fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we kind of know like how awesome these Stardom girls are, but you kind of forget when you no, don't no, watch don't. them. No, we don't, Jeremy. You know how awesome <laughs> these Stardom girls are. I do not watch Stardom, and I know that I do it as like a, a like a bit on this show. The truth is, I do like women's wrestling. Um, like I've watched an extensive amount of like All Japan Women's. I just haven't. I don't have the time to get into a lot of like modern Joshi. Uh, recently, I've tried to do a little bit more research and check a few things out, but uh, I had no idea how good these girls were. Um, they blew me away. I mean, compared to the other like preview matches that that they've shown um, in New Japan, all like just a few seconds into the match, it was already better than those ones. And this was balls to the wall. I mean, nine minutes. I'm I'm three and three quarters, and I was very close to going four stars. And you know, I talked to James; he he may pull back the you know pull back on that <laughs> rating a little bit. But uh, if they had more time, I'm like I don't know what we're talking. I mean, this I I don't know how many like tag women's tag team matches have been in the dome, but I can't imagine there's many. This probably got to be one of the best there ever were. <laughs> yeah, but this was awesome, man! Like really, really, really awesome. And I was like. Like I might need to like watch more stardom, which I think was kind of the idea of what they're trying to accomplish here. Right. Honestly, for those who don't know, stardom is under Bushi Road. This is a sister promotion to New Japan. Uh, so same parent company. And so definitely they, they want cross, you know, they want New Japan fans to watch stardom. They want stardom fans to watch New Japan. And with New Japan being the bigger, more established company, uh, use that platform to help elevate stardom, which has been having, you know, they had a great 2021 with their uh, drawing ability, the houses that they were drawing even during this uh, pandemic, and they've been doing more pay-per-views. They even have uh, starting to get some English commentary going on uh, some of their pay-per-views and shows, and so they're making a lot of strides, a lot of big moves, and uh, gaining a lot of traction right now. So really, you know, highlighting these girls on this big stage was was a great move. Yeah, I mean, um, there were times in the past where uh, different groups had been, um, featured in New Japan 
um, different women's groups and had preview matches and stuff like that. We're talking years and years ago. And there's also been times where, like, there have been shows where they've all come together. Uh, I think of, like, that Tokyo Sport, or not Tokyo Sport, the, uh, I forget what the name of that show is, but the, uh, the show in 1995 where all the companies came together and worked the dome. And I look back at that show and, like, the two women's promotions that had preview tag matches on those shows, they fucking killed it. And it made you, like, want to watch more of what they had to offer. And since then, I mean, I've seen Stardom in Ring of Honor. I've seen them have, uh, you know, a few preview matches in New Japan. And every time I've seen it, it really hasn't impressed me that much. I've been like, eh, it's okay. This was on a different level where I was like, oh, fuck, like, this is next level wrestling. Like, um, if, if, if this is what a lot more of the product is like, I would definitely check it out, you know? Yeah. And from what I'm hearing, I don't know, but just, you know, I trust our friends over One Nation Radio. They've told me that, like, what's going on in the pro- in stardom right now, that it's better than it's ever been in the past. Right, and I feel like they're bringing, there's been a lot of acquisitions of uh, new Joshi from other promotions, and I feel like they've been doing a lot of great Stuff with their booking here. And this match, I thought uh, Saya was kind of the standout here. Uh, the new Wonder of Stardom Champion. She had this, he did this awesome uh, schoolboy suplex at one point. And uh, she got the win here. She gets her uh, Star Crusher and her Phoenix Splash. A beautiful uh, Phoenix Splash yeah. on uh, the, the high-speed champ Starlight Kid to get the win here. Also, the uh, the spot where Mayu and Starlight Kid did like the tower on the top rope. And yeah. And she like, did the... And Starlight Kid did the crossbody off of her shoulders. I was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I love this match. Um, I thought it was one of the the major highlights of the night, for sure. Definitely, and that was which, awesome. Which is another reason why I thought this show might be better than night one, which it definitely was. Yeah, and I'm right there with you, uh, 3.75. And, you know, the thing with this show, we, we, used, we used to praise New Japan in the past with kind of how they structure their cards. Like, you kind of start off with, like, the match that maybe not – Hit the highest, and then you kind of build all the way up to the closing stretch where all the matches are bangers. I feel like we kind of got that here, where you kind of started off with the pre-shows matches, and you got a three-way match getting better, and then this match just went up higher and we're kind of elevating up the card here. Yeah. So the next match tonight, the NJPW King of Pro Wrestling title four-way match for the vacant provisional King of Pro <laughs> Wrestling trophy, and um, we had Minoru Suzuki. For the first time, defeat Chase Owens, Sima, and Toriano to become the new provisional KOPW champion. It's a nickname that he's had for years and years, the king of pro wrestling. Well, now he's got a little cheap gold trophy to signify that that is, in fact, the case. Only provisionally, though. He has to <laughs> hold it for the rest of the year. Yeah, and it seemed like the the, the crowd kind of popped for uh, Suzuki winning. I, I th- I'm sure that everybody thought that once again Yano was just going to win, and because you know KOPW has kind of just been turned into a vehicle to get Yano uh, screen time, and I think a lot of people expected that to happen. But yeah, kind of a surprise win here of Suzuki um, beating Yano and kind of reliving that that Suzuki Yano rivalry. And Suzuki yeah. hit, hitting the gotch towards the end there. So now it makes you think of what kind of stipulations uh, is Minoru Suzuki going to propose for his run as KOPW provisional champion? Well, I, um, yesterday, listening to the uh, the comments 
Suzuki didn't seem to be super enthused to be in this match. He like kind of made a joke and he was like a bunch of scrubs in a Rambo on the pre-show who don't have title matches. And he's like, and I guess that includes me. He's like, but I got more to say on that tomorrow. He kind of had a little twinkle in his eye. Like he knew he was going to win this thing. <laughs> so I don't know what that means. Um, I'm st- we're still at the time of this recording. We haven't, like I, I mentioned, uh, listened to the post-match comments on night two. But um, I thought Yano having that drinking match with Kanemaru sort of was the full embodiment of like what his version of KOPW sort of represented. And we've talked in the past about if someone else more serious, we've even said specifically, what if Minoru Suzuki were to be the guy to win this thing? How would that change? how the title's perceived and what kind of rule sets that might entail, you know, its placement on the card, you know? Right. I'm not saying it means for sure that things are going to change, but I, I got to imagine that there is a good possibility that they might be willing to do some more serious matches and angles when it comes to the KOPW trophy going forward, if Suzuki's tied to it. But, um, you know, six minutes, this was short, inoffensive, and it was really cool to see Shima and Suzuki interact with one another. Um, you know, plus with Suzuki kind of, like, doing some work over in Glee and his, like, you know, um, background and, like, shoot wrestling and everything like that, Shima being tied to Glee, like, I, I don't know, the whole thing was just really kind of surreal and cool, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of optimistic about KMPW for the first time in a long time. Right, we saw during Suzuki's never title run, I believe it was uh, 2016, 2017, he did a lot of kind of stipulation matches when he was ever champ. He had a couple, you know, Texas bull rope matches. He had the, you know, the hair versus... Those sucked, though. Okay, well, I didn't, I didn't see those, but I know I know he did them. <laughs> oh, those are not good. That was like, that was a time where I was like, what the fuck are they doing? Um, yeah, him and Toriano had a bunch of, uh, yeah, he wrestled him and I think Elgin. He had a bunch of... Uh, "Quote unquote death matches, but there were like a bunch of a uh, bull rope matches and a bunch of a uh, uh, what a lumberjack matches, and they were all really, really, really bad. That was like one of the lowest points of Suzuki and New Japan. That was like right before they sent him away. Because mm. I know that 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 all kind of led into the Goto match, the hair versus hair match. Right. That's yes, and that was awesome, but everything else kind of sucked. All right, so maybe we won't get hopefully none of that bad stuff, and maybe more of the <laughs> the Goto style matchups. <laughs> May I? Maybe we'll see. I mean, I would be all. Maybe Suzuki could just start having like I don't know. I don't know what kind of matches they might have. I'm I'm still optimistic. I mean, there is a chance that it could suck because like the, that stuff you brought up, it, it's still out there. And I mean, if you think I'm wrong, go look at Cage Match. Go watch the the matches are in the archives. They weren't good. <laughs> like at all <laughs> yeah maybe, maybe you could do like, like a, a blood sport type matchup right that's what i was thinking like they could do stuff like that and i i thought like some of the matches they did last year like the amateur rules match and i thought the one bull rope match he had with a uh, chase i thought some of that stuff was you know pretty good actually but speaking of yano I mean, but you know I don't need Yano and Chase Owens to have I quit matches that go 30 minutes or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. It'll be interesting to see what uh, Suzuki ends up doing with it. I'm sure um, they're, they're going to do something with him and Yano based off of what happened post-match where Suzuki continues to attack 
Yano, but Yano handcuffs Suzuki uh, to the top rope and flees. So probably we'll have Suzuki or Yano as the first challenger, and maybe Yano will propose a, a handcuff stipulation to whatever Suzuki proposes. Yeah, that's what it seems like it might be. Because um, post match, he handcuffed uh, Minoru Suzuki, and you know, so that seems to be something that might be in play going forward. Plus, I don't know. There's a part of me that thinks about like that. Uh, Remember that famous match I made you watch with uh, Anoki and um, Masa Saito, and they were handcuffed to one another. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm one with it being the 50th anniversary. I'm wondering if there's if maybe something like that could come into play. I don't know. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. So then we move on to the never open weight six man tag team championship match uh, as Hiroki Goto, Yoshihashi, and Yo. Uh, they challenged the House of Torture and were defeated by the House of Torture, Evil, Show, and Yujiro Takahashi. Yeah, so this is um, this is probably, in my opinion, the low point of the entire show. Um, and again, no surprise, House of Torture is involved. You know, so I mean. It, what, was it as egregious as what we got the first night with Evil and Ishii? No. Um, is it more tolerable because it's six-man tag team titles and, you know, putting aside that fantastic title run that Chaos had? For most of this title's history, it's kind of been a throwaway belt. And, it, you know, with them putting the title on, on House Torture, it kind of seems to be a, a return to the way things were. Yeah, I think it's a little more tolerable. But also, it's Wrestle Kingdom, <laughs> right? Um, but it was not, it was only nine minutes, and it was you know it was kind of a nothing match with a bunch of cheating. Uh, like you alluded to earlier during the night one review, it seems like Sho and Yo are going to kind of continue their feud in some form or fashion. The one thing that um, doesn't bode well though is that it feels like potentially. Evil and Yujiro might, based off of the way that this match went, be the future challengers for Goto and Yoshihashi's titles, which I'm not necessarily looking forward to if that's the case. Uh, right, they're but, definitely gesturing to uh, Goto and Yoshihashi post-match and doing the, the title belt motion and pointing to the titles, and Goto and Yoshihashi were arguing with them. So it definitely seems like at some point in the beginning part of the year, they're probably going to be one of the first challengers for Goto and Yoshihashi. Yes, I agree. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's just it wasn't good, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's not. I mean, it's kind of what you expect from this matchup: distraction, finish, uh, low blow. Um, show gets the win over Yo again. Um, so this this feud will continue, and yeah, not much not much to say here. Not much to say. Worst match of the night. Yeah. So then we're uh, getting ready to go into intermission, and then Kijimuto comes out and leads a pro wrestling Noah invasion in the dome. Uh, the entire roster uh, comes out and hits the ring um, as they're getting ready to promote the uh, Yokohama card. 
Uh, so we had the whole roster coming out there in their their Noah track suits, Congo wearing their their Congo uh, track suits, and uh, they're they're cutting promos. And then Cano um, uh, gets the mic and he's cutting a promo. And uh, Shingo comes out and calls Shingo a loser and talks about how Noah is going to become the top promotion. Yeah. So um, this whole thing was kind of uh, double sided in a certain sense, like it was really, really exciting to see all of Noah come together. You know, um, I did check out a little bit of the January 1st show and, you know, um, Kiyomiya and Kino had a national title match that was like probably a match the year contender. It was like, blood, you know, life and death. And Kiyomiya got knocked out in that match. And uh, to kind of see those two guys stand together, and put their differences aside, shake hands um, in solidarity in their war against New Japan. That was cool. Plus, uh, I mean, you saw warring factions come together in an effort to, uh, you know, usurp authority over New Japan. And then, you know, Muto's there. He's crying in the middle of the ring because he's in the dome back in the cerulean blue mat <laughs> and he's taking selfies with all his boys <laughs> <laughs> yeah he pulls so, the phone I mean, up <laughs> that was really cool but then um the actual deliverance of everything i mean like shingo walked out and he was with uh Hiromu, and who else was he Bushi. With? Was it yeah and they kind of like they exchanged some words but it wasn't much and then they kind of made it seem like he, he almost felt like they got punked out, even though there was like thirty guys in the ring. I mean, what the what the fuck were the three of them going to do? You know, right? Like, I feel uh, like they should have had like other members of New Japan roster who didn't have matches later on, like coming out too, and had like a big like confrontation. Maybe, but then at the same, the argument against that, and I've thought about that, is like it's literally in the middle of the show. There's still four matches to go. That's the kind, that's the kind of angle you would want, maybe want to do at, at the close of like a show, not mm. like in the middle. Right. Yeah. But the whole, I don't know. I kind of felt like maybe that is the way they should have closed the show is like with the, like a big Noah angle. I don't know. Um, that also feels kind of like Western wrestling though, too. So, I mean, there is a part of me though. That's like, well, maybe, maybe how everyone's been saying that this, one show might not be a one-off might lead to other things down the line that's possible and maybe the interactions between Kano and Shingo and you know the stuff with Congo kind of being like rivals with LIJ might actually lead to something else down the line that could be really cool and if this is the start of that I'm all for it I also we've also seen weird oddities like this in the past where it doesn't lead anywhere it's just kind of like a strange unique thing that happened and if that's what it is, it's fine. But um, I'm hoping for more, you know, ultimately is kind of what I'm thinking here. But uh, just the fact that we had a Wrestle Kingdom where there's like big, big shakeups and surprises like that. That's I don't know. I, I, I dug it. I just want more. That's the, the basis of everything. But uh, I liked this. I just want there to be more follow up. And I'm, I'm apprehensive because I'm not sure that there will be. Yeah, I'm going to say came with you. Yeah, I thought it was cool, but definitely hoping this leads to more. And we talked about junior division needing some help and, you know, making the G1 fresh and New Japan Cup fresh. It would be great to get some more no involvement 
in the year. I did also, I watched the main event of their January 1st show, the Nakajima versus uh, Goshi Ozaki match because it was getting so much praise. I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> I, I might need to watch a little bit more Noah. But uh, I didn't think, I thought the match was really overrated. Yeah, I haven't seen the match out. I need to, I need to check out some stuff from uh, Noah from that show. But yeah, I mean. It's, you have to check it out. I mean, it was it was very violent. But it was slow. I mean, it was really slow. And it was very monotonous. And uh, and then it just kind of ended. I don't know. I think I'm used to a different style working. But uh, we'll see. I'll, I'll check out some more of their stuff as time goes on, maybe. Uh, so then going from that invasion, we went to intermission. And we got the, the announcement of some of the big events coming up in 2022. So the New Year's Golden Series is going to be a month-long tour uh, happening January 20th to February 20th. It'll start off in Corkin Hall. And then some of the bigger events happening in that Golden Series, uh, February 11th in the Zabio Arena Sendai. There's going to be a big New Year's Golden Series show there. And also Sunday, February 13th in the Edeon Arena Osaka. And then uh, after that, uh, February 19th in Hokkaido Prefectural Sports Center. And Sunday, February 20th, also in the Hokkaido Prefectural Sports Center. It'll be back-to-back uh, New Year Golden Series big shows there. Then on Tuesday, March 1st, the 50th anniversary show will be happening in the Nippon Budokan. And then Wednesday, March 2nd, the New Japan Cup will kick off in the Nippon Budokan. And the finals, uh, well, the last two nights will be in uh, Osaka Castle Hall. And so the finals will be Sunday, March 27th. Then on Saturday, April 9th, there's a untitled Sumo Hall show. Sunday, May 1st, there's going to be Wrestling Don Taku in the Pepe Dome. And they showed uh, some historical footage uh, from some New Japan events that happened uh, in that arena. And then uh, yeah. Sunday, June... I, I, know that as the, I know that as the Fukuoka Dome. Right, yeah, formerly known as the Fukuoka Dome. And then the last one, Sunday, June 12th, there will be an untitled event in Osaka, Osaka Castle Hall. So not the, um, I wouldn't call this necessarily the most ambitious, you know, um, schedule they've ever done. Uh, I think a couple years ago when just prior to the uh, pandemic (laughs) occurring was probably a little bit more um, ambitious than this, this, you know, comes comes across. But with it being the 50th year, with them working with other companies um, and with the prospects of things maybe getting better, uh, when it comes to uh, COVID, I think this is all very, very exciting news. The idea that they're going to run the Fukuoka Dome for the first time, and man, I can't even remember. That's something that's been talked about for quite a while, and I think that that's really, really, really exciting. Um, I think this is all good news. Um, I mean, would I, I? I love New Beginning, and we're not going to be getting the New Beginning tour. I think we're just kind of the golden series is pretty much new beginning tour. They're just renaming it essentially, but it looks like we're getting four big shows out of that as opposed to your traditional two or three. And, um, you know, it looks like a uh, new Japan cup is set to, to be a awesome series of events. And then, you know, some other big Osaka Joe hall, sumo hall shows, you know, Zebu, all that. And then the Fukuoka dome. I mean, we're getting another dome show in the middle of the year. Uh, for Dantaku, which means Dantaku is going to be a big deal this year. Um, 
probably more comparable to like a Dominion level style show. Um, and it, a lot of the way that this is paced is more reminiscent and similar to some of the scheduling that New Japan used to do of yesteryear. So I think a lot of that does have to do with it being a 50th anniversary year. That kind of makes sense to me. The one big noticeable glaring omission is that they didn't mention Super Juniors, which means Super Juniors will probably be back in November, December-ish time period if G1 is going to happen on the same schedule it normally has. Yeah, we'll have to see. I mean, the only date they announced for May was that the Antaku show in the Fukuoka Dome, which is May 1st. So maybe between then and uh, Dominion, maybe they could, they could run a Super Juniors tour. Uh, that would be, that'd be ideal. But I guess we'll have to wait and see what the rest of the schedule. I'm sure they're probably still trying to figure things out as restrictions and protocol change with COVID and who they can bring in, who they can't bring in. I'm sure that they're still kind of waiting on that as well. That's what I was thinking too, because I mean, if things open up and get better, and then and then they can make some announcements, that's great. But if they haven't made any announcements and they can kind of hold some of that off till later in the year when things are even more open, you know, so they, they've got options there. Yeah, and with Don Taku, you know, Chris Charlton mentioned on commentary, Don Taku has always been one of those events that kind of sells out very quickly. And even in the COVID era, you know, last year we had the the Osprey uh, Shingo matchup that sold out very quickly with the limited amount of uh, capacity they had. So there was a lot of interest in that match and in that event. And so uh, and a bigger setup here for Don Taku. And it's only one night. We don't have two nights of Don Taku. So I feel like we we're going to get That's a, a good super, side too. Yeah, get a super card for that show. The, the last thing I'll say about the scheduling announcement, uh, just aside from the general anticipation and excitement of it all, um, we don't know what the next year holds. The new the company doesn't know what the next year holds, but they're booking some larger buildings. And I think that's a smart move because hypothetically, let's like let's say if we're still in lockdown and you know there's a lot of parameters still in place. I hope that's not the case, but if it is, and they're at limited capacity. Well, they've maximized what they can do in bigger buildings at that point. So from a business perspective, that's probably better than us having to endure a million Road 2 shows and a million, um, you know, uh, Cork and Hall shows. And I'm sure we'll still get some of that, but maybe not as much. Yeah, that, that'd, be, that'd be great. The vice versa, though, is if things open up, they've got the buildings booked. And if they're able to do more business... They're ready and primed and open to do it. And I think as things open up, people are raring to go most likely and they can kind of do better business that way. So it's, I see it as a good thing either way. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've seen a ton of the U.S. guys like Jonah and Filthy Tom and Dickinson all chomping at the bit to want to get over to Japan. And, you know, a lot of their goals are for those guys that wrestle in Japan this year. So it would be great if things could open up. I mean, can you imagine a new Japan Cup, including, you know, Filthy Tom and Dickinson and, and Jonah and uh, Josh Alexander and uh, Fredericks and Connors and Coughlin? Like, it'd be dope. Yeah, I agree. All right, well, now we're going to move on here to the, the last uh, four matchups here from January 5th. So first we had Sonata defeating the great Ocon 13 minutes and 21 seconds. Um. I liked this match. Um, I didn't think it was like blow away, but I thought that it was good. Uh, 
to very good, actually. I think I went like three and a half on it. It was only 13 minutes, so it wasn't, you know, it didn't overstay its welcome. And uh, I thought Sonata and Great O'Conn played uh, played off a lot of what the um, the different move, like different sequences and moves that they had kind of already kind of teased and set up during all those preview matches. They sort of paid a lot of those stories off here. Um, and, you know, a lot of it was like, Sonata thinks Great O'Conn, there's a lot of subtext here and you had to kind of watch some of the previews and look into it. But like Sonata thinks Great O'Conn is ugly, right? Right. Sonata's supposed to be this pretty boy. So Great O'Conn is attacking Sonata's pretty face, <laughs> which makes sense because he also wants to go for the, uh, the Iron Claw. And Sonata is also supposed to be this really, really great technician, but Great O'Conn had just recently won the, you know, technique award in, um, Tokyo sports, which I think is sort of supposed to be like the best technical wrestler award. And we got a lot of great chain wrestling, a lot of great sequences. Sonata also was trying to sort of like embarrass great Okan. Um, we'd seen him put him in the, uh, the paradise lock the night before and really embarrassed him as the first time that he successfully been able to put great Okan in the paradise lock. Um, other things too, like Okan sort of went balls to the wall, you know, he, uh, Finally did a plancha. He'd been teasing doing a plancha, and he's not a high flyer. You know, he's a, a mat-based wrestler. And uh, Sonata, like, called his bluff and played chicken with him, and <laughs> kind of did a fucking, <laughs> did a fucking plancha to the outside. That was hilarious. Mad. Sonata's was mad funny. <laughs> Sonata's so dumb, and, just kind of stood there and ate it. Yeah, Sonata's an idiot. I See, the funny thing is, like, we were watching the show kind of at the same time, but not in the exact same time like spot and you were like Sonata's such an idiot and later on I was like I bet that's where why he said that yep <laughs> <laughs> and then um the funny thing though was like uh at the tail end um Okan ended up hitting a uh moonsault and then somehow came out of the moonsault and I think he was going for the claw and Sonata ended up turning that into the O'Connor roll which um was how he defeated Okan so he was able to kind of out finesse him but Okan had also done a version. He'd been doing a version of he would. Uh, I, I don't know what you call that pin, but like he would sit on Okan or sit on Sonata, almost like he was sitting on a throne, like very disrespectfully. Right. And then some. And then sometimes he would turn that into an O'Connor roll of his own. And uh, you know, it was, it was sort of like a anything you can do, I can do better. There's there just like a lot of playfulness and, and story there. I thought the match was very fun. I didn't think it was a, a classic or anything that I'd revisit, but for where it was, I mean, I've seen a lot worse Sonata matches in the past. So, I mean, I thought it was, a, a, you know, I thought it was good. And I've seen some bad ratings and, and people hate this. I don't really see that or get it, but, uh, you know, I thought that they told the story that they're trying to tell and I thought they were pretty faithful to it. And I thought it was entertaining. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure the low ratings and hate comes from people just hating the great Okan. And, you know, Dave's out there always talking about how horrible and Alvarez, how awful the great Okan is and how much he sucks and how much the gimmick sucks. So I'm sure a lot of you know popular perception of the great Okan plays into that. But we've been on the show defending Okan. I think he's a great worker. And in this match, like you mentioned, there wasn't a ton of build to this match. This, this match, you know, came out of what happened in the, the World Tag League finals and then like you mentioned, if you weren't watching like some of the promos or some of the Road to Tokyo Dome stuff, like you missed like some of the promos and like, you know, 
Ocon calling Sonata, you know, the pretty boy style. He's going to prove that the pretty boy style doesn't work. And you, you mentioned Sonata calling Ocon ugly and making kind of fun of the way that he looks and wrestles. And so um, there wasn't a ton of story, but they did build up a little bit towards the end there in, in Road Tokyo Dome. And also an um, interesting thing, too, like, that was pointed out from stats from our friend Chris Sampson. You know, these guys were two of the most winning wrestlers from 2021 with Great O'Connor, I think, having the most matches. I think he won, like, 88 matches, and Sonata won something like 80 or 83 matches. So these were, like, two of the, the top guys that were soaring in 2021. So kind of interesting that they end up matching up here at the Dome um, in, in a big matchup to, to move forward in 2022. Yeah, I mean, if you recall a few years ago, Tanahashi and Kenny Omega in the Dome fighting over whose style was better. That's basically what Sonata and Great Ocon was, just a very condensed version. Right. So, you know, Sonata is Tanahashi and Great Ocon is Kenny Omega. (laughs) 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 Uh, I thought the match was fun, though. Um, But that takes us to our next special singles match of the night as Jeff Cobb took on Tetsuya Naito and... um, I thought this ruled, and I thought it was my set. For me, this was the second best match of the night, which, you know, I thought there, I, like, I don't know. Um, you look back at it in hindsight, that doesn't seem to be that crazy, but you and I were both looking at it. We're like, this might be sneakily, deceptively good, and I feel like maybe some people are kind of counting out Naito, maybe because of the injury or maybe because of a lack of big match performances and, sort of having a lackluster year. But um, you look at the year Cobb's had and how many great matches he's had, especially in the G1, and it's no surprise to me that these guys would go out there and tear the house down. That's what I thought they did. Now, I don't think it's an all-time classic, but I really, really liked this match. I'm four stars on it, and I thought Naito and Cobb did an awesome job. Yeah, I went four and a quarter on it. It it was a, a great matchup, and again, it's another matchup that did not have a ton of build into it. This once again happened from the World Tag League Finals, from that tag match of uh, Cobb and Ocon versus Sonata and Naito, and then kind of spilled off there. They built it through the Road Tokyo Dome, but it wasn't. It didn't get a lot of build like some of the other top matches did um, from the from these two shows. And they went out there, had an interesting story of, you know, Naito knowing, all right, I need to work on the knee. I need to take the big man off his feet. And then, you know, Cobb just kind of wanted to prove that he, he can do some of Naito's stuff better. We've seen him do, like, the combination comp Cabron during some of the, the preview matches and just kind of wanted to show him that he's, you know, the better wrestler than Naito. And both of these guys are also two top guys. You mentioned Cobb having an incredible 2021 and his G1 run and the great stuff he did there. And then Naito also know former former champion former double champion and he's mentioned how his 2021 was kind of a slump and was looking to kick things in gear for 2022 so you had two guys that kind of had a lot to prove here and wanted to make a big splash going into this year and so they get awesome matchup some of the you know Cobb is just so freaky strong uh just some of the power moves that he can pull off and he, I thought he did a great job selling the knee and still being able to continue to pull off some of his uh, power stuff yeah, there was um, it was interesting because Cobb has been virtually undefeatable throughout the year. I mean, you've had to like move heaven and earth to be able to beat this guy in most cases, and you know it was a tall task and a big order for Naito to sort of beat him. And uh, we talked about it last week, sort of being like a 
crossroads style match. You know, uh, one guy, Cobb, seems to be on his way up. Naito seems to be on his way down. And, you know, Cobb has never had a big win like this in the uh, Tokyo Dome before. Naito's looking to kind of change his fortunes, get back in that win column and uh, move forward. And his goal for 2023 is to be on the January 4th Tokyo Dome main event show, which means he's got to have an incredible year this year if that's even going to be feasible for him to do that. And he wanted to turn Cobb into a stepping stone. And you look at how Cobb's been sort of insurmountable. How's Naito going to do that? And started kind of playing word games and mind games with him and saying like, well, Cobb is really good. He's had a great year, but he's stealing from everybody that he beats. And there is some truth to that. I mean, he was stealing some of like Naito's mannerisms and moves. We saw him like steal like the Aloha maker and, you know, steal the Kabagoye. And like, I think it's almost kind of playing into the insecurities, kayfabe speaking, of course, of Jeff Cobb in that like, okay, he's become this like monster, but why is he still focusing on the wrestling of his opponents and not focusing on being the best Jeff Cobb that he can be? And then Cobb's wondering like, huh, I wonder what does he mean by that? You know, <laughs> right. and it, it kind of set up an opportunity for Naito to find this weakness in his legs and in his knees. And um, that was kind of the story here. And, you know, I'm not always a big proponent of, limb work or you know a, a, a limb selling style match but they went out there and had a really good physical physical match and i mean not to say i mean obviously naito's like he's an all-time talent but he hasn't had the best in-ring year and cobb has and i felt like cobb brought him to another level this is probably at least definitely since the saber match the best uh, singles match Naito's had in in, um, in wrestling. And there was some stuff I really, really loved here. I mean, he roughed up Cobb. Like, he had to get physical. Cobb was bleeding. Um, there was one point where Cobb went for the, uh, the fucking tour of the islands, and Naito's, like, counter of that into that, like, knee submission was, like, it was so awesome. And it played off the story so well. And uh, when he finally was able to, like, overcome Cobb, he hit him with the... Uh, Northern Lights Bomb, and then, you know, the Destino. And I was like, damn, that was an awesome match. 15 minutes. I'm easily four stars on the shit. I can maybe go four and a quarter. Uh, I thought it was the second best match of the night. That was awesome. Yeah, great, great matchup. I also loved uh, Cobb countering Naito's uh, Frankensteiner into a powerbomb off the top. That looked brutal. Oh, that was nasty. Like, And he didn't do the whole, like, we've seen the thing where guys will do the Frankensteiner and they, they try to go into the, like, um, Frankensteiner. They get caught and they, they pause and then they get, like, hoisted up and then powerbombed. They didn't do that. Like, he's setting up for it and, like, Cobb's like, Fuck that. Hold this. <laughs> Bow. <laughs> Just lays him out. And I'm like, damn. Yeah, bro. Jeff Cobb is some he's something else, man. Yeah, dude. It's freak he athlete. Just, he's a he's a freak athlete. Now his promo the night before was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> his promo is horrible. Like, um, he should really I don't know. Like, I don't know how you work on that. I don't know if you need to go like to Toastmasters or study more tape or work with a coach, maybe acting class, something, but like that's his one glaring, really it's his one real glaring hole. Other than that, like he's fucking phenomenal. 
But um, oh, there was a funny point. I wanted to bring this up. So Naito's music is like playing, and Cobb's in the ring, and he's like bopping his head. Yeah, Cobb was vibing to it. <laughs> Cobb was vibing to the Naito theme song, which like on one point you'd be like, that's out of character, but like with the amount of like um sort of like uh I don't know, parody and almost sort of like clowning that like Cobb did to Naito, it sort of fit the match but i just i i bust up laughing when like they like zoomed in on him and he's like bopping his head and he's vibing to the music <laughs> yeah <laughs> and also i want to point out we didn't really talk about uh naito's gear uh well his uh his ring gear he had a, a new ring jacket that looked pretty cool he's got a new ring jacket and said i didn't like it as much it mm. was too I, I like when he has like you know a mask and like real that was too casual for me yeah night, night one he had a he wore a mask i don't think he wore the mask for this match he wore the same, but it's the same jacket, jacket yeah. the same attire. I didn't, it wasn't as fresh as, for me, it wasn't as fresh as a lot of his other stuff he wore. Mm. Um, I like the material. I didn't like the cut and the style. I, no tie, no vest, <laughs> no, you know, I don't know. It was just, and then, the, oh, that was the one thing I will say this. Here's another one big criticism. Jeff Cobb came out in a green singlet. Dog, it's Wrestle Kingdom. I knew he was losing the moment he came out. <laughs> there were some Sonata came out new like there, that's the other way I knew that this was the real night of Wrestle Kingdom was like a lot of people wore their old shit for January fourth, and then on January fifth, like everybody was busting out like the new hot shit. Like even like Eagles came out with like a new mask. Tiger mm-hmm. Mask had new gear. Um, uh, Bull Club's cutest tag team had new gear. Like oh yeah, you know, uh... so many. ELP's uh, lineup jacket said Robbie Eagle sucks uh, on the back. <laughs> <laughs> like, there were so many guys that were, like, doing new new stuff. Even Sonata. Sonata had the old gear on January 4th, and they came out with the new hot gear. And we know he's going to wear that same gear for the whole entire year. He's never going to change it. But, uh, you know, Ocon had, like, everybody. Yeah. Jeff Cobb comes out in the green suplex United Empire gear that he came out with, like, last year. And I was like, damn. I know he didn't invest any money because he knew he was losing this shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, like if even if you're gonna lose, you gotta like. I'm not saying come out in the all white. Save that for when you're gonna like win the title. But like, come out, like get get a new fucking singlet. You know, right? Get do like a new color pattern or something. Something is Wrestle Kingdom. This man came out in the same old shit, and I was like, oh fuck, I, like I was wrong in the predictions. Naito's beating him. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I kind of like Chris's booking last week of you know all United Empire winning leading to Osprey losing, but they they all lost. It didn't here. work out that way. <laughs> uh, A bunch of fucking losers. <laughs> uh, so let's uh, move on to the semi-main event here for the IWGP United States Heavyweight Title No Disqualification Match. The Ace Hiroshi Tanahashi does it again. He defeats Kenta twenty-two minutes and forty seconds. So, um, the good, Tanahashi's gear, hard as fuck. Kenta's gear, even harder. I've never seen this man come out in the all-white like that that I can recall. Yeah, that was fresh. It was, it was fresh. Um, they had a 22-minute, 40-second, no-DQ match. There was a lot of plunder. They hit each other really hard. Kenta has marks all over his body. 
but I will tell you this. I am not a fan of this match. Um, the two things I, the three things I liked, there was a really crazy spot where Kenta put Tanahashi through the table off the ropes using a Falcon arrow. That spot was crazy. That was nuts. That spot was crazy. And then, um, towards the tail end of the match, uh, Kenta pulled out one of the tallest ladders I think I've ever seen. Ever. I mean, like, it was so tall that he had a... He had to assemble it. (laughs) Yeah, he had to assemble it. It had special (laughs) gimmicks. Normally, you know, like in the U.S., with a tall ladder, you know, there's like the little, like, brackets. You go pop, pop, and that's it. This thing had... You had to unscrew them, walk them over, screw them again. There was four of them. Like, it was pretty, like, serious. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then... um, this is at the tail end of the match. Like he's getting ready to do whatever he's going to do. I think they were teasing that he was going to do what? Probably the double stomp off the top. Yeah. And Tanahashi gets up and starts shaking that shit. Now those, that a lot of the Japanese ladders I've noticed, they are not constructed firmly the way that like, I think that us company, like us wrestling companies, especially WWE and AEW, I think they actually like, get custom built ladders because they don't look like any ladders that I've ever used. Like right. Cause I, I've never seen a double sided ladder, like in home Depot. Right. Exactly. So I think that theirs are made for the frames of guys that are like 300 plus pounds. You know what I mean? Right. People that live in Japan are not generally speaking the same kind of size as just your average American, much less of like an American pro wrestler. Every single time New Japan has a uh, a ladder, they are so fucking flimsy. They look like they're made out of like sheet metal. Like I'm like, what is that? And like Tanahashi tried to do the thing where he like teased that he's gonna like dump it, but like in America, those the ladders are so firm that you can like they barely move. You know what I mean? Right. This thing was this thing was wobbling like a motherfucker, <laughs> <laughs> and like Kenta couldn't keep his balance and he fell off and he fucking he hit the trash can. He was unbalanced and like gashed his whole shit up bad i mean he was leaking and then at that point tanahashi put him on a table tanahashi hits the high fly flow and that's it was one of the craziest high fly flows i've ever seen in my life i mean like that's in terms of frog splashes that's up there with like rob van dam doing the frog splash on eddie guerrero and christian in their Mm, ladder matches yeah and i mean he he wasn't even on the top of it i think he was higher up than rvd was like, he was really high up there. That was some crazy shit. Yeah. Those things were super memorable. But overall, man, I got to tell you, this this is some this is what I call Jimmy Snuka-ism. <laughs> okay? This is a bad match covered up by a really big moment at the end. And people are going to talk about it like it was a club. Dude, have you ever watched Don Morocco versus Jimmy Snuka? No. <laughs> it is not good. Okay? People, people have capped for years and said it's one of the greatest matches in the history of MSG. Dude, it is not a good match. It's not even, even by 80 standards, it is a bad, bad match. But at the end of it all, Jimmy Snooker climbs on top of the cage, does the Snooker splash, and people have and people have called it one of the most influential moments in the history of wrestling, you know? Right. Um, that's what that's what this shit was. Like this match was not good. 
Like, I mean, yeah, this this match it, it was slow paced. You know, it had had that Triple H Batista uh, New York WrestleMania thirty four pace. It, it was slow. Bro, it was slower than that. It was slow and plodding, but hey, man, they did some crazy ass bumps. <laughs> they did two really big crazy ass bumps, and uh, you know, and fucking um, Kenta bled a lot at the end. Yeah, but other even some of the, some of the other bumps, like Tanahashi doing the high fly flow into the pile of chairs, where Kenta moved. Uh, that was crazy. That was at the very end too, though. Yeah, there were bro. There's a solid 16, 17 minutes of non-action that I did not need. Um, and yeah. the thing is, like, I don't want to, com- you know, people are probably gonna groan. I'm gonna compare this to AEW, and the reason I'm going to it's not because I like to compare. I love AEW, and I'm gonna compare it to New Japan, but it's because we see death. This kind of quote unquote death match. We see gimmick matches like this in AEW all the time. And I mean, they sleepwalk in the four star, you know, matches like this on Rampage and Dynamite all the time. Right. And they're really good. And I mean, you compare this to even WWE. WWE is not a good company, but they have really, I mean, way better than this gimmick, you know, no DQ matches all the time. And Look at Mexico, and you look at all the walk and brawl plunder matches that they have. A lot of this match was spent with just like Kenta walking around, grabbing weapons and throwing them in the ring, and Tanahashi doing the same thing, and then maybe using them, maybe not using them. Like I'm a big fan of the Brian Danielson um, philosophy of weapons matches, where you don't need to throw a bunch of shit in the ring; you just literally organically grab what's near you and use it and work it into the story of the match. You know what I mean? Right. Like still have a wrestling match, but then as you're right. bra- brawling outside, Oh, there's a chair. Let me grab that. Oh, you know, I'll, exactly. I'll pull a table out. Cause I'm out, I'm out by the, the apron instead of, yeah, just I've, ne- I've never loved when guys go into the ring, grab six or seven things and toss them in. I'm like, Oh, that's one of the worst tropes in the history of wrestling. If I could get rid of a, a trope in wrestling, that is something I'd get rid of. It's um, ECWism. It's not even it's not even ECWism. They didn't do that that much. Like it, it's I, I don't know WWEism. It's that <laughs> hardcore matchism. Yeah, you know. But uh, also Tanahashi touched a fucking guitar in this match. Tanahashi should never touch a real guitar ever <laughs> in his entire life. Uh, you know how offensive that was to me. Yeah. Uh, that, but, um, that, that man saw Jeff Jarrett making big moves. And he's like, "Nah, let, let me <laughs> let me show you how to use a guitar, a real Japanese guitar." Bro, when I when I saw that there was an acoustic guitar sitting under the ring in the Tokyo Dome, I got mad <laughs> nervous. I was like, "Somehow this man Jeff Jarrett, I know he was just in GCW, but he found his way to Japan and he was able to get past the." <laughs> I was ready. I was ready for Jeff Jarrett to come out. Light, lights go out. Turn on Jared Sayer helps Kenta win, re- rejoins the Bullet Club. Um, and the and the thing is too is like Kenta and Tanahashi have had so many good matches that I don't know. I just thought with them changing the gimmick that they'd be able to work a better match. They didn't necessarily work a better match. Uh, hats off to them. They both put their bodies on the line and did some crazy shit. But uh, I cannot go any higher than three and a half, and I'm only three and a half. Because of the crazy spots at the end. Without those crazy spots, I would be much low. I thought this was an actively bad match until the last four or five minutes. Yeah, I mean, it was not great, but yeah, those big spots uh, saved the match. 
Oh, and not not only that, but like if you look at if you look online, people love this match. They love it. It's crazy, dude. I don't know. It's snookerism. You know, it's the same shit. People yeah. people see one really big spot and they want to put their stamp of approval on the whole match. And like, I can't do that. The match was bad until the last couple big things that they did. And which is it's kind of frustrating with this pairing because I feel like Tanahashi and Kenta, the critics have been very harsh on any time these guys wrestle. And me and you come out here and be like, these guys have great matches together, especially the right. G, the G1 uh, 2019 match, probably being one of the best right. of them. Like, I love that match. Everybody was like, oh, yeah, Kenta's washed, Tanahashi's washed. That wasn't a good match. Right. And anytime they uh, wrestle, people are like, oh, it's bad. And I'm like, mm, I know about that. No, I thought the last match they had wasn't great. That was the match where Tanahashi was showing his age. But the match before that, right. the one where Tanahashi was champion and successfully defended. I thought that match was really good. And like you said, they they get very harshly criticized during those matches. And it doesn't make sense because the actual mechanics and, and the match, the stories are great. Then they go out there and they have this shit. It's not that great. And I'm seeing people, it's probably the highest rated match they have on cage match, which I'm like, I don't know. I, it, it's, you know what I think a lot of it is too, though? I think it's that, Wrestle Kingdom draws the casuals, and they love ism, and they got the fucking snooka ism and the deathmatch ism, Je- Jeff Hardy ism, the Jeff Hardy ism, <laughs> you know, and they're they're willing to put their stamp of approval on it, and then the diehard Puro fans are the ones that are watching like the, you know, the low the smaller shows, and that's why those those matches are getting those lower ratings because it's it's the people talking about the Noah scum and talking about old Tanahashi and all that shit right match too many times so I I think it's different crowds rating it too as part of that yeah I'll be interested to see what Dave thinks about this whether he's swayed by the allure of the big grant of the blood and the the big ladder at the end versus what we got for the majority of the match yeah definitely interesting to see his uh his takes and uh ratings on that and even with that all being said even though I didn't love the match, it still produced a classic Wrestle Kingdom moment. That that spot at the end is it can't be understated how that was crazy. Yeah, that, these guys are fucking nuts. Yeah, dude, Tanahashi's wild. That, <laughs> that, that man Tanahashi's is, wild, and like so is Kenta. Yes, both these both oh, these guys man. are nuts. Anyways, so that's gonna take <laughs> us to main event. Um, as we saw, Will Osprey versus. The Rainmaker, Kazushika Okada, for the undisputed IWGP World Heavyweight title. Will Ospreay came out to the ring. He had all four championship title belts. He had both Rev Pro titles. He had the new Warrior Wrestling belt. So he brought the Catholic School Wrestling title to the Tokyo Dome. <laughs> to the Tokyo Dome. You know, he brought the Shindy belt to the Tokyo Dome. And he also brought the fake IWGP world title, the fake one. Like, you know, Kevin Kelly's been on commentary talking about how this is a uh, a replica belt. And like, that is pretty much what it, <laughs> you know, he didn't, he didn't go home with that shit. <laughs> <laughs> how did he get it? How did he get one? <laughs> Do you think he had Dan, Dan from um, Dan, the belt, cl- belt maker? What's it, What's his uh, name? 
Yeah, I think yeah. it's Dan the yeah, Dan, Dan the belt maker or something like that. Is it built by Dan? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, built by Dan, make him a replica or whatever the fuck. I don't know. But uh he carried all four of his belts out. He's seconded by uh, Okan and um Hanari, which by the way, we all we I don't know how we got this far into the show. Hanari's mustache is disgusting. <laughs> 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 and then uh Kazushiko Kata came out the new reigning IWGP world champion. And we've got a somewhat de facto unification title match. Um, it was funny. Will Ospreay both nights made the, uh, he made the uh, ring announcer announce him as the IWGP world champion, even though he, <laughs> they bullied him into doing it both nights. <laughs> yeah. Announced him as the second real world IWGP champion. <laughs> and uh, yeah. So, uh, and then we got what is in my opinion, the current contender for match of the year worldwide. I know we're only five days in, but this was easily the best match on both nights of Wrestle Kingdom. A fitting send-off to Wrestle Kingdom as a show. Um, many people are calling it a five-star classic. I'm not sure I'm quite quite that high, but I might be I, I could maybe be uh, you know inclined to go that extra quarter star and give it that but bro okada osprey fucking ruled 32 minutes 52 seconds this was one for the ages this is what i love when we talk about tokyo dome style matches it was it was incredible jeremy your thoughts yeah dude this match was absolutely incredible probably the best osprey okada singles match yet uh before i talk about the match, i gotta talk about the entrances real quick um Osprey had a uh, remixed version of his United Empire music, a special uh, entrance video that showed all the people he beat in his quote unquote real world title defenses. You know, Carl Fredericks, <laughs> uh, Scotty Davis, and all the people he beat defending the real world title uh, came out. Entrance gear was fresh, his in ring gear was fresh, and of course, Okada once again with the Anoki uh, tribute gear on. And yeah, these guys just went out here and just had an absolute barn burner just playing off so much of their history that is uh seven years in the making when these guys first faced off and okada wanted osprey to join chaos just so much uh this thing the sequences and the spots like oh my god like so all this incredible things they did in this match it was just it was nuts so let me give you a little bit of a refresher here. So the first time that these two ever faced off in singles action was in Rev Pro in 2015. That was the match where Will Ospreay impressed Okada enough to kind of convince him to um, bring Will Ospreay to New Japan, talk him up to the to officials, and kind of get him uh, the tryout matches that eventually got him signed to the company and got him in chaos and everything like that. From that point forward, they had a couple matches. Um, one on March 6th, 2018. I believe that was the uh, the match that they had when it was junior champion versus heavyweight champion for the anniversary show. Mm-hmm. They wrestled again on March 20th, 2019. That was um, a New Japan Cup match when Will Ospreay was junior champion. Or no, I'm sorry, never champion, I believe. And he was doing the... Uh, you know, kind of flirting with heavyweight, doing the never, uh, or he was in the New Japan Cup that year. And then in J- July of that year, July 2019, they had what is generally considered the best 
singles match between the two of them in the G1. It was like night seven. Um, Will Ospreay was, again, the reigning current junior champion. And um, Okada at the time in the 2019 G1, I believe he was the world champion or the IWGP heavyweight champion. And it was like the one time that people were actually believing that a junior champion might beat a heavyweight champion because it was the G1. That's the match that Dave gave five and three quarters. It's got 9.34 on cage match. And um, that's the one that like people really, really, really liked. The next year, uh, July, uh, October, they wrestled again in um, the G1. This is the match where Will Os- This was the G1 finals where Will Ospreay turned on Okada finally beat okada for the first time ever it's a good match but it's kind of marred by the controversy of all the run-ins and everything like that and then last year on january 4th they had the first truly definitive heavyweight versus heavyweight match between the two of them in the tokyo dome that's another match that dave went over five stars he went five and uh, a quarter at that time that one's got 9.20 on cage match Currently speaking, this match has 9.23, so it's a little bit higher rated currently than last year's uh, January 4th main event or match between them, but it's a little bit lower rated than the famous 2019 G1 match. For my money, for me, I think this is much better than that G1 match that they had in 2019, and I've always felt that match was a little bit overrated. This was one where... It just blew me away. Um, it blew me away from a sequencing standpoint, from a pacing standpoint. Will Ospreay, uh, as a heavyweight, he's still phenomenal, and he's still, you know, he's the best in the world, probably. Yeah, and he's but, still still doing a ton of, like, his junior spots. Um, it was a great call. But, but he's done a lot less of it. That was the point I was going to make. He's done a lot less of it in, in his current iteration. You know, he's definitely toned that down. But in this match... Bro, he was fucking pulling out all the junior stops. And I was like, that's what I was like, oh, my God. Like, this dude's going for it. Like, he's trying to, like, show the world, like, he can still do this shit if he wants to. Right. There was a call back to the Wrestle Kingdom a couple years ago, the four-way, where he did the moonsault off of the the, the structuring there. He did that to Okada in this match off, yep. of, off the lightning rig. Uh, it was a great spot where he goes for um, – the uh, the Sasuke special, but then Okada catches him and then tombstones on the outside. Uh, that was nuts. That uh, there was that's one thing I loved was how how many times these guys were able to counter one another. Um, up until that 2019 G1 match, I felt like almost every match they'd ever had with one another was while while they were all great matches, they were all also kind of disappointing from a standpoint that these are two of the best guys in the world and they'd never really had that truly, truly epic classic. This is the first time, in my opinion, that they've really done that. I like this way better than last year's Tokyo Dome match. I liked it way better than that 2019 G1 match. Um, I, I thought that this, I think this is going to be a really tough match to beat for match of the year just across the board. It, it might it might get beat, but it's definitely going to be in the conversation. Um, towards the tail end, dude, like Okada kept countering like, oh, when Okada hit him with the fucking uh, Stormbreaker, Stormbreaker, I lost my shit because that's <laughs> not even an easy move to do for it. Like, you know, it's one thing like I can do a uh, 
I think most people can do a rainmaker. You know, it's to it's basically a spin out short arm clothesline. But like that stormbreaker is not an easy move to do to anybody. <laughs> like when Okada hit hit Osprey at that, I was like, oh fuck! And then Osprey hit him with a rainmaker, and these guys were stealing each other's moves. And yeah, um, there's a Spanish fly reversal out of the rainmaker. Yeah, he tried, uh, to, hit, he tried to Osprey with the rainmaker. He does Spanish fly, and I was like, I love. I've never seen anyone else do that. Uh, counter to Okada's mm-hmm. Rainmaker. Will might have done it in the past, but I don't remember. And I was like, damn, that's really good. <laughs> and there were so many times that Okada like flipped out of the rain of the um Stormbreaker landing on his feet. Uh uh Osprey hitting the, the Chelsea grin that spinning uh back elbow to the back of the head was nasty. I think he stole that from Seth freaking Rollins, but uh <laughs> <laughs> but these guys know each other so well they they played off all their whole series of matches, the previous six matches, they they all kind of came into play. The history between Okada and Will, going back to their chaos days and the turn and everything like that, all of that was in play here. And um, I mean, bro, like I loved the match the night before; it was great. But this was even greater. I mean, this was level to me. This was levels above that. Um, I don't know if for you if that means you're above five. I don't believe in above five. But I'm, I'm, very, <laughs> I'm very close to five when it comes to this match because at no point in the night before, there's a lot of times where stuff was happening in the night before. I was like, ooh, ooh, that's they're hitting each other hard. But in this one, I was like, oh shit! <laughs> you know, I was up and I was up from my my um, couch and like there's just been so few New Japan matches over the past couple of years where I'm legitimately like up from my couch i mean last I, the last year's um i do remember last year when ibushi and um jay white wrestled several times i was like freaking out that's kind of how it was during, during okada osprey it was just uh it was a master class of wrestling it really 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 was yeah dude i freaking popped when he caught um okada's dropkick into the sit out powerbomb that was incredible. Then there was there was a a time where Okada was in trouble and he hit him with the the uh, drop kick and I I loved that too. Yeah, dude, there's so then, many great you know, moves. And then at the very very tail end, Okada finally hits him with um what, what's his setup move called again? The yeah, the landslide. Hits him with the landslide. Hits him with the rainmaker. Goes for the pin, one, two, three, clean as a whistle, and like there's no more confusion, there's no more contention, there's not three fucking belts running around in this company, there's one world title, and it belongs to Kazushika Okada, and uh, he's going to carry the company for the next 50 years, he says, so. Yeah, Uh, what did you think about uh, Osprey doing a Shibata headbutt before the, uh, the end there? Dude, okay, that's another thing. Yeah, he did a Shibata headbutt. Um, I think I think they did it in a way that was still protected, though. Yeah. But, like, even just that illusion. And then he also did his own version of, like, what was basically, like, the Rainmaker. Or, I'm sorry, the uh, V-Trigger. Right, yeah, he did, yeah. And that was something, too. I had to, like, rewind that. So, like, even calling into, like, not just their history, but, like, uh, his history with, like, those two guys as well uh, with Omega and with uh, Shibata, that was also kind of brought into play too. It, it's a great match. It really is. Yeah. Really is, delivered. Really yeah, delivered. Absolutely incredible. I, I went full five on this one also. Um, yeah. It's a great 
uh, Tokyo Dome main event. And, uh, Bro, don't be a coward. Go five and a quarter. <laughs> um, um, after the match. I gotta say this, though, before we move on. There's a part of me that feels like Shingo and Osprey in the dome for the title would have been even better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, I, I would have loved to see see that. Oh, there was also a part of me too when I was watching it where I just started thinking like, man, fuck Brian Danielson and Okada. I want Will Osprey and Brian Danielson. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. I want Osprey versus all top wrestlers in the world. Yeah, I want Osprey to wrestle everybody, like all the guys he hasn't wrestled, like. Give him Gargano. Give him Kenny Omega. Give him Mox. Like, let's do this, you know? Yeah. Uh, so after the match, um, Okada called himself the the real champ, the real deal, and then we get Naito coming out to interrupt his uh, post-match speech and, uh, you know, putting himself in line for a title shot. So it looks like at one of the uh, upcoming big shows that we're going to get Okada and Naito for the world title. Uh, these guys haven't faced each other in two years, so it's been a protected matchup. So it's a matchup that draws. So it's something we also said would probably happen. We talked about that last week during the preview. We said that you know Naito Cobb is probably a de facto number one contender match, and it absolutely ended up being the case. So you know you're welcome. And uh, with with some of those bigger announced shows. We'll probably see them in Osaka Joe Hall, I'm assuming, uh, for the Golden Series tour, you know, either in January or February. So, um, and I will say this. Uh, oh, one other thing. During the post-match um, press conference, or the post-match uh, when he's in the ring, he said Antonio Inoki needs to come see him in the ring. Now, I think some people interpreted that to mean that Inoki needs to come, like, stand in the ring with him generation to generation you know, founder to, you know, current face and kind of celebrate 50 years together. But that's, that's not how I saw it. He said, Antonio Noki, you need to come see me in this fucking ring. Well, yeah, Kevin Kelly <laughs> mentioned that Okada was try, uh, trying to convince Inoki to do uh, one more match. Oh, are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he can do it. <laughs> you know how bad that would be? <laughs> Oh my gosh, that would be so bad. Like, <laughs> you know, Anoki like was done in 2000. It's 2022. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be like trying to get like Ric Flair to do a match right now or Hulk Hogan. Like, they can't do it, dude. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna die. But uh, you know, the idea of Okada and uh, <laughs> Anoki like is hilarious. To me. Uh, it, it would draw. Uh, it would draw though. <laughs> I don't know if it would. <laughs> Might draw some uh, attention from like the feds or someone <laughs> like you know the state elder abuse. Up. But oh. you know, um, last thing I'll say about this show. Um, now, while I don't think it peaked as often as say your standard classic great Wrestle Kingdom matches or nights, you know, like last year's Night Five or. You know, some of the other shows we see in the past, Wrestle Kingdom 10, Wrestle Kingdom 9, Wrestle Kingdom 12, stuff like that. But this was the first time in a long time where it felt like this is a real New Japan show on a big stage where it felt like, because there were so many cool things that happened. I mean, you had the Noah invasion, you had Tanahashi jumping off the giant fucking, you know, ladder, uh, 
the stuff with like Shima and um, what's his face? Uh, <laughs> um, Suzuki sharing a ring together. It's kind of like a dream match scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, the the preview match with the women and how they like went in there and tore it up. Two champions and you know Okada standing tall at the end. Like there was just a lot of ri- even like Wato getting the upset win over Desperado. There's just like a lot of um, even ELP getting like the the sudden death exposed. There's just like a lot of stories, a lot of elements, a lot of surprises, reveals. Like this just to me, and then plus like the news that they're going to be back on TV in the States and the news of all the like dates and they're running the Fukuoka Dome. Like these two shows combined, I know there's some criticisms and some things, especially House of Torture shit. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the company has done as well as they possibly could do, given the cards that were handed them um, in this particular situation to produce as good of a two-night show as they possibly could. And this night, in particular, night two, felt as close to a Wrestle Kingdom-level card as we could have possibly gotten, given the circumstances, you know? Yeah. Given the fact that there was, like, no foreigners... There was no, you know, aside from the people they already had, there was no Jay White. There's no Kota Ibushi, you know. Um, I think they did an outstanding job. Would, would I call this the show of the year? No, I would not. Would I call it an all-time great show? No, I would not. But I still think it was a very, very great show. And I was, I'm very optimistic about New Japan's future coming out of these dome shows. And I'm excited again. And yeah, man. I, I, times I, where we haven't felt that way. Yeah, I, I felt that they did, um, like I said, like this wasn't shows of the year, but I feel like they did, uh, especially night two, was a, a great show of what they had. What they had, um, I felt like if they could combine both of these nights, we probably could have gotten an, an even better show. But I understand for business purposes, right. they need to run two nights to make up for the revenue of one, a normal one night would do in good times, so... I understand that, but yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to 2022, especially if uh, things open up and we get the boards opened up and we get because there's so many. Don't even think about like the AEW guys. Let's look at New Japan's strong roster and the guys that have been bringing in there. Just just getting those guys over into Japan would be great, and then you add on the possibility of AEW and Impact guys coming over like. The tournaments this year could be really great if we get some fresh blood and we get some of the uh, guys in town over. Yeah. So all in all, um, I thought this was really good. And uh, that is our review of Nights 1 and 2 of Wrestle Kingdom. Yep. So uh, Night 3 of Wrestle Kingdom is coming up this Saturday, January 8th. The NOAA vs. New Japan card uh, available on Abima for pay-per-view. And then it'll be up on... New Japan World a week later. Uh, still not sure what we're doing as far as our our coverage on that, but we'll we'll talk about it in some form uh, on the show. We'll watch them this week and then we'll review it on Tuesday. There we go. <laughs> uh, all, I mean, that's my plan. Yeah. Uh, also on Saturday, uh, New Japan Strong is back. It took a little hiatus at the end of December there, so we got a fresh uh, New Japan Strong Saturday night uh, main event of Eddie Kingston versus Gabriel Kidd. We'll have Hikaleo and Chris Bay versus uh, 
Keita Murray and Jordan Clearwater and the TJ or TJP will take on the DKC in the opening match. One thing I know it's been a couple weeks. We didn't spend a lot of time because we were running short on time, but that uh, that last live, well, not live, but the last uh, True Blue New Japan Strong show, the one that was headlined by uh, Fred Rosser and uh, um, Tom Lawler. We forgot to mention that post show. The return of Russ Tyler was brought about, and he, you know, kind of came in and he's like the new challenger. Like he teased that he was rejoining Team Filthy, and then he turned on them, and he's now the number one contender for the strongest title. Right. Yeah. Uh, also, that match between Rosser and Tom Lawler was voted. Um, I don't know that I would agree, although I thought the match was great, but it was voted as the strong match of the year for 2021 as well. Yeah, so uh, two years in a row, those two guys, they, they won the uh, strong match of the year. The first year, I definitely don't think it should have won. Uh, this year, I, c- I could see the argument for it. Uh, personally, I I, too. I voted for, I think I voted for Dickinson and Narita. Uh, I think Dickinson and Narita is probably one of the top. Either that or Lawler Narita. Yeah, or Lawler or Dickinson. Lawler Dickinson. <laughs> yeah. I, I could see an argument for Dickinson Suzuki. Uh, that was really awesome. There's there's quite a few, yeah. I think the problem is they when they do the voting, they give you every option, and it's yes, too they, many options. They literally give you every single match that happened on Strong for the it year. It splits too much of the vote, and it doesn't give you an opportunity to like hone in on what the absolute best ones were to even surmise what you think is the best. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, um, this will be good. I'm excited to see Kingston Gabe Kid. That looks really good. Yeah, yep. Uh, we had some questions here that we bumped from last week. I think we're going to bump them again because uh, I think next week's going to be a little bit lighter uh, of a week. Uh, so we'll hold on to those for next week. Uh, real quick here, recommend a match. Last week, Chris recommended uh, Nakamura versus Kota Ibushi from uh, January 4th, 2015, uh, Wrestle Kingdom 9. Did you get a chance to rewatch this? Yeah, I rewatched it. I rewatched it my favorite way, which is with Matt Stryker and Jim Ross. <laughs> <laughs> the way I watched it originally, and um, it, bro, it never it it never fails to um, blow me away. But I mean, kind of seeing where Kota Ibushi is now and where he was in 2015, literally just making his call up basically to full time heavyweight at this point, essentially. And, and not even really yet. He hadn't even really made that jump until New Japan Cup of that year. So he's still kind of technically a junior. And, you know, he's like the outside DDT junior guy who's had some success in the company. He's done a G1, but he's not the man. And he's taking, you know, and then he's taken on the king of strong style, like one of the fucking franchise players, Nakamura. And... They go out there and they have one for the ages, and it's still one for the ages. And you know, I think the working style of New Japan's changed quite a bit from the way it was in 2015. But damn, this match holds up. Like I love it, and I like it's it's hard hitting. It's got so much MMAism to it. Kota Ibushi's crazy spots, and to see where Nakamura is at this point, where Ibushi is, where they've been between now and then, like this match is awesome. It's I still think it's top of the resume for maybe both of them. 
Yeah, I absolutely love this matchup. It's it's so cool because kind of seeing like like you mentioned like Abushi kind of that younger form and just being called the heavyweight and you look now look then and look now and just see like he was already an incredible wrestler then and just the the improvements that he's made over the years to get even better as the years have gone on. It's pretty crazy. Uh, but yeah, there, there's a part of me that wonders. You know, Nakamura um, recently said that he would love to be involved with New Japan's 50th year. Mm-hmm. It's probably not going to happen, obviously. But uh, you never know. I mean, Kenta got allowed to go work for uh, Noah that one time when he was signed to WWE. So who knows? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. But uh, what if he did come back? And what if, like, if if there was one guy he could have a match with? I know a lot of people are like, oh, you know, they, there's a lot of different names. But I feel like it should be Ibushi. Yeah, because I feel like Abushi still pays tribute to him with the the bomaye and like the, the the pose that he does, and so I think it's still so does so does uh, Taguchi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think uh, Abushi Nakamura will be a, a better choice than Nakamura and uh, Taguchi, but uh, I, yeah, I'd be so interested to see what that match is like five or six years on. You know what I mean? Right. I guess it's more than that now. Wow, seven years, eight years. Wow. Seven years, it's crazy, man! Incredible match. It's still one of the best ever in, in the Tokyo Dome. Yeah, and then uh, for a recommended match for this week, uh, it was my pick. So I went for the same show, Wrestle Kingdom Nine, going with AJ Styles versus Tetsuya Naito, Wrestle Kingdom Nine. Have you seen this one? I have not seen this match. Okay, gotcha. Well, we will watch it and um, review it next week. Yep, and that's going to wrap things up for us this week. Uh, next week, we'll be back to uh, discuss night three of Wrestle Kingdom 16 and cover all its news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media, on Twitter. The show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, we are facebook.com slash suplex. On Instagram, we are at suplex. On Reddit, I'm the pro black guy. Doctor's keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at socialsuplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Issue Radio, hosted by Rich Ladder and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences Podcast, hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin. And the AEW Match Guide Podcast, hosted by Sir Sam. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. We will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Happy New Year, everybody. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.